We can relax. You're we call, can do this. You're calming us down. You're our guest calming us down. We have Mary Moore at the table today. Welcome. Thank you. We're You've so... never done a podcast. I've never done uh, any kind of cast. This is an this is an honor. This is a real delicious treat. <laughs> it's my first podcast too. <laughs> We're in this together. All right. I know uh, that's not true. I've heard you, Margaret. Well, thirteenth episode. Potentially. Oh, lucky number. Well, we'll cool. see when it comes out. We never know. <laughs> right. we're, we're winging it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for being here. Thanks for inviting me. We've got, I think we're going to have some really great conversation today. Cool. Oh, I know it. We already have. Great. So, Mary Moore. Yes. A Madison home birth midwife. Yes. Sitting with us today. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, know. Breath, take a breath there, Andrew. Yeah, we really. It's all good. We really had this to drop woman in. that's sitting with us today at the table was my midwife for all three of my children. I'm not gonna cry. It's okay if you do. So this is what I kept saying to Claire, who's my honey, right before I <laughs> yeah. left. Was like, I have two major goals during this podcast taping thing. One is don't swear. The other <gasps> oh, is don't swear. Don't swear and don't <laughs> cry. Crying are are welcomed at the and, okay. at the table. Right. That's so funny. You beat me to it because I told Andrew. Mm-hmm. I said, FYI, I am going to ask Mary, or at least let her know, let you know, that if I want you to feel really safe here, and I want you to know that if you feel moved to swear, that we would actually love it because when you do, I get a huge rush <laughs> of oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you me a favor. You should live in my house, friend. You would be just like flooded with oxytocin all the damn time. I bet I would. I bet I would. It's all about Catholic school. Yeah. Yeah. Serious. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted. Yes. No, don't interrupt as much yes. as you want, yes. please. The, the mic is yours. Definitely. We just want to hold the space. But for a little bit of a backstory, and then yeah. please add to this. Okay. You've been 
practicing midwifery since the 90s, like 97. I was licensed in 96, yep. And since 2007, we're um, out of hospital. Out of hospital birth settings. From from 1996 until 2007, I worked in hospital settings. I I trained at Yale. I worked in a small uh, midwifery practice in the Boston area Mm -hmm. in a community hospital. So not one of the big downtown hospitals, but a community hospital. Um, and it was a great place to start. It was really experienced, old, most of them older midwives, in this smaller group practice um, in a hospital that was pretty supportive for the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to do things like we got the massage school into that hospital so that you could ultimately get prenatal and postpartum massages on the labor ward, you know, and in the postpartum nice. And we got a little bit of homeopathy onto the um, formulary. Mm. in the hospital, which was kind of cool. And, you know, those are, they're minor victories, but they were fun things. Mm -hmm. Um, But mainly it was just a really good supportive place to start working. Mm -hmm. And then I I was there for a couple of years and then I moved out to the Indian Health Service. I worked on the Navajo um, Nation um, in the Indian Health Service in two different locations there in Gallup, New Mexico, and then out in Chinle, Arizona. And then um, my partner and I moved to, oh, and I worked in a a big um, urban hospital in Malawi, in Blantyre, Malawi. Yeah. Yeah. And those are huge pieces of your story. And feel free to go in, I mean, I I don't want to just like overview them. Mm -hmm. We have Mm -hmm. a lot to talk about. We have some really exciting things to, to explore together today. But those are just, inc- I mean, that's an incredible story mm-hmm. right there. And just birth is always an incredible story. Yeah. But you, you ended up in Wisconsin. You it. ended up in Wisconsin because of my Claire's partner, work? Yeah. My mm-hmm. partner um, is a, an anthropologist, is a medical anthropologist and was an OBGYN for mm-hmm. a number of years. So we met in the Indian Health Service in Gallup, New Mexico when she had, I arrived there in January of 1999. She was, she had put in applications to leave and go to grad school. So we overlapped for a few months, just enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she went off to grad school and did a PhD in anthropology. She, We ultimately went to Malawi together when she was doing her field work. Um, she was going to go do her field work and study uh, medical education and professionalization in a school that had only existed for like seven years, a med school that was relatively new. Wow. So that's a great place to do that particular set yeah. of questions of research. I went along and just presented myself in the labor ward and said, like, I'm a certified nurse midwife. I've been working for, you know, what, at that point, six years, um, and I'll work. Mm-hmm. And they credentialed me. That took a little while because they needed all my paperwork and mm-hmm. stuff. And then I started working on the labor ward there, and I worked mm-hmm. there for most of that year. Um, and then we went back there. We moved. Claire came back, finished her dissertation got a job at the University of Wisconsin. We moved to Madison uh, right before the school year started in 2005. Um, we went back to Malawi. I did some other contract kind of work in 2005 to six. Um, and then we went back to Malawi in 2007. And when I came back, when we came back from six more months in Malawi, that's when I started working at the birth center. And when you went back to Malawi, did you I was on the labor ward again. again? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I just went straight into the labor ward for those six months. Oh, I just, uh, just give us a little bit more about Malawi. Like what, what, when you, when you think back to that time, what stands out for you as something Mm. that was really eye-opening or or like influential, just something that, that really like, 
I mean, I... I mean, I know it's a hard thing. You can't just, like, sum it up. Like, right. Yeah, it was intense. It was different. It was, you know... Yeah, I mean, it was... I would say one of the things that was really striking to me about it was... Let me say, first of all, I've loved pretty much every setting I've ever worked in. Mm-hmm. And they've all had their good and bad points. But, like, I've, mm-hmm. I pretty much dig all my jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved working in Malawi. It was... As a group, I would say that the midwives who worked in that hospital were f- certainly the hardest working midwives I've ever worked with. Mm. I mean, they worked mm. long shifts, constantly, very high numbers of clients coming through, mm-hmm. very little support because mm-hmm. it's a really resource poor setting, mm-hmm. really capable, mm-hmm. really smart, really on it. Mm. Um, and there was a period of time, the first time we were there in 2002 to 2003, there was a period of time, I want to say it was from like November through February or so, but I, I'm not 100% certain on those dates, that the government basically stopped paying people because they were out of money. Sure. So, and the hospital is a public hospital, so these are government employees, right? And people kept coming to work. Mm-hmm. Like every day, mm-hmm. they still mm-hmm. came to work and worked 12 or 14-hour shifts. Wow. You know, it was yeah. also at a really high peak of the HIV epidemic, and we did not have antiretrovirals in Malawi mm-hmm. yet. So the labor mm-hmm. ward, I mean, we didn't have test kits, never mind antiretrovirals mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i mean there were some ngos in the area that were doing particular research projects mm-hmm. johns hopkins was there and oh, wow. university of south carolina was there doing various kinds of research projects they would have hiv test kits available sure. but the hospital didn't Did really not. have the reagents mm-hmm. to yeah. do them most of the time so but the prevalence studies that these ngos were doing suggested that somewhere around a third of the of the women coming into the labor ward were HIV positive, but mm-hmm. mostly we didn't know who was and who wasn't. Sure, um, we didn't have a lot of protective equipment. I mean, we had gloves, gloves sometimes. Sometimes I hear that, and sometimes you'd run out. And we kept buckets mm-hmm. of chlorhexidine, which oh. is an antiseptic, on the labor ward so that you could put your gloves on, put your hands into the chlorhexidine between clients, and rinse yeah. them off. I mean, you changed them when you needed to, but it wasn't like here where you can, you've been in someone's room, you touched stuff, you got blood on your gloves, you just throw them out and get new gloves. Yeah. Um, you didn't have those opportunities. Um, but, but you know, people did remarkable work Yeah. there. Did and the, I felt such, I mean, I loved those. I loved the staff in that hospital. Yeah. I loved those mm. folks. Mm. They were amazing. Yeah. The other thing that was really striking to me about working in Malawi is, you know, there's a lot of tropes about Africa that, you know, oh, Africa in general, never sure. mind. There's, yeah, like the, there's several dozen countries yeah. there that are quite, you know, culturally different uh-huh. from each other and materially different in mm-hmm. some ways. Sure. Um, but the, you know, Africa, the dark continent, and it's, you know, very, like, poor, and there's a lot of Africa Scary, porn. a lot of people think it's scary. And yeah, like, there's really, a lot of Africa mm-hmm. porn, and there's a lot of white savior porn, right, mm-hmm. that people yeah. go yeah. and they're like being the medical right. savior and the medical missionary. And right. I was very yeah. clear that like I was going because my honey was going to do research. I had n- I had worked on Navajo and knew very clearly that I was not anybody. <laughs> I was not anybody's fucking savior, man. I was just like working, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And they're, the Malawian midwives, because they are working in a resource poor setting and because they're taking care of a really, they're taking care of everybody who walks through the door. Sure. They had some skills that I didn't have. Like, right. I had not done many breaches before I went to Malawi. Right. Because in the States, 
You know, when I first started practicing, we were still doing breaches. My practice was still doing breaches, but usually the doc would come in. In the late 90s. In the late 90s, yeah. The doc would come in and at least be there, and, you know, and it doesn't come up that often. Right. So I'd done a couple, but in Malawi, you know, those midwives were good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a bunch of breaches, and I did a bunch of vacuums, and you take care of you take care of much higher acuity patients mm-hmm. than you oh. typically take care of in the States just because... There aren't, I mean, the docks are very scarce on the ground, right? right? The midwives are pretty scarce on the ground. That labor ward in Blantyre, Malawi at Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital, we did about 12,000 births a year. Wow. 12,000 births a year translates to about 30 births in every 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. On an average. And so right. some days are clearly more than that, and some wow. days are clearly and there's, less than that. And there's about how many providers between so, midwives and doctors? So there's usually, there's usually a doc on call. Sure. Who's covering the labor ward, the postpartum ward, and the gyne one. ward, the gynecology mm-hmm. ward? Mm-hmm. There's usually one doc on call, and there is a med. There was a med school there at that point, so there were a couple of interns mm-hmm. um, and medical students. For this, for staffing the labor ward itself, there were usually during the daytimes, which is a 12-hour shift, um, there were usually three to five midwives, mm-hmm. and that's it. And the cleaners. It wasn't there wasn't the structure that there is here where there are midwives and then there are nurses. Mm-hmm. At that time, virtually all there wasn't there was a nurse midwife. That was mm-hmm. what there was. Like mm-hmm. everybody who was trained as a nurse was trained also to do midwifery. Sure. Because most folks weren't gonna be working in the big city hospitals. There weren't that many of them in Malawi. Mm-hmm. Most people were gonna be working out in small health centers or in the the, even in the peri-urban health centers, um, and there are often no docs there. Right. Okay. Right. So you need and and not enough staff that you can have people who specialize and do. Well, that person right. does birth, and this person doesn't. Right. Like everybody had to be ready to do birth. Right. Those well, folks were also. I experienced those midwives in particular as like incredibly um, creative and inventive about. Mm-hmm. So you don't have this, you do that. You don't have that, you do... Resourceful. Very resourceful, you know, very resourceful, not only in the sense of, like, being able to find in the community what they need. Yeah, but also, like, (laughs) making stuff work. Yeah. Just making stuff work. So it was was an amazing place. The other thing, the one other thing I would say about it was Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital was the place where you were supposed to send all of the more medically vulnerable people, right? So what gets labeled the higher risk Mm -hmm. um, patients here. That means that, you know, we're already creaming off the top from all of the peri-urban health centers and the little bit more rural health centers. We're creaming off the top the highest risk people. They're Mm -hmm. coming into that hospital. Still the vast, and it's a very under-resourced setting Mm -hmm. and, and understaffed setting. And still... The vast majority of women who walked in that door in labor walked out that door with a baby in their arms. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it also spoke to me really clearly of how incredibly robust birth is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's absolutely the case that there's a lot of heartache. I don't think there was ever a day that I worked that we didn't have a baby die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that mm-hmm. often had to do with prematurity. Like there just wasn't anything to do. Or infection. For, mm-hmm. Yeah, infection, less less so in babies, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but prematurity was huge because mm-hmm. prematurity, there isn't anything. There's no respirator. Mm-hmm. There's no like mm-hmm. NICU mm-hmm. to put a baby in. Sure. Um, so if you had a 28-weeker, there wasn't anything to do for a 28-weeker. Mm-hmm. Was the general the philosophy around birth, did it match how you approach birth, which is just... 
you know. In terms of um, management, maybe? You're, the whole philosophy of like, you know, you're prepared, but you kind of also get out of the way and let mom or the birthing parent yeah, really. To some extent, but I would say it was, it, I mean, it was of a necessity somewhat more medical. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the the Malawi's history is that it was never formally a colony, um, but it was mm-hmm. a what was called a protectorate, which is a different version of colonial um, of the British. So the hospital systems there are British and the training oh, okay. is British. Um so people and the World Health Organization is in there mm-hmm. with safe motherhood initiatives mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's a much more algorithm based. Okay. Like, yeah. Um, and people, you don't have the opportunity really to sort of labor sit with people. Yeah. No, you right. just don't. You I have mean, to just kind of go through the motions really of your. You know, if we had a day that was a little slower, mm-hmm. you might get to spend a little time with someone, mm-hmm. but mostly you couldn't. Okay. You just didn't. You just couldn't. I mean, I and I'm my ward, the non-paying ward. Sometimes there were two of us on that ward, and sometimes there was just one of us on that mm-hmm. ward, and it was a 15-bed ward. Um, and sometimes there were students around, and you know, I could say to students like, "You stay with this woman, and you know, help her, mm-hmm. and call me." <laughs> you start seeing the baby's head. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it was a cleaner that would come around the corner and say like. This that woman is that baby's to, coming, or yeah. this woman is seizing. Uh huh. You know, right? Which people called fitting, having mm. fits, uh-huh. fitting. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but it was a remarkable place. Mm-hmm. I would, and it was heartbreaking too. I mean, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's so like beautiful and heroic, and people are working so hard and. And there's still, and because, and because you know that, like, I mean, babies would die or moms would die, mm-hmm. and you know that wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. You know if that would not have happened if they'd been born in Madison, Madison Wisconsin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or if they'd had a half of the resources mm-hmm. that we have here. Mm-hmm. And the injustice of that is pretty. I mean, is pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to go all the way to Malawi for that. No, no. it's happening here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For other. Well, yeah. some of the same, but other reasons as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I met you in 2009 when I was yes. pregnant with my first babe. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Freestanding Birth Center in Madison was still here. Mm-hmm. So I was getting prenatal care through the birth center. But you ended up being the midwife on call mm-hmm. for Nellie. And then... <laughs> that was so great. Two more babies later, you had your own home birth mm-hmm. practice called Strongwork Home Birth, which... Yep. Well, share all of that wonderful information with our <laughs> listeners. Um, but my guess is that a lot of our listeners are already very familiar with Mary Moore. <laughs> you're kind of famous. Do you know, oh that, my do you God. know that you're no, famous? Don't even say that. You that are. Nervous. <laughs> Deal. That's not my goal. You, you are many, many people's hero. Mm-hmm. You know. You're one of my heroes. You oh, just you are. guys. Stop. You are. It's true. It is true. Yeah. I I had the incredible privilege of being one of your students. And should I be the first to cry? Should we? Is it, are I we ready? I think it might be happening simultaneously. I, <laughs> it's happening at the same time. Have we all been crying already? Just internally? I have not been crying yet. <laughs> you did drop that Listen, F-bomb. Thank you for that. <laughs> did, you, did, my cheeks, did my cheeks flush? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, My husband has teased me that 
I would have one more baby just to be with Mary a lot. <laughs> we say that we say that about Ingrid as well. Yeah, all mm-hmm. the that, all the midwives. All the midwives. We have a great midwife. Oh my gosh, all of you. It's so amazing. All yeah. of you. And it's we incredible. know how lucky we are too, yeah. which is good. Yeah, and yeah. and you have each other, which yes. is amazing. Yes. So amazing. So I don't for, know how for, midwives are doing it in areas of the country where like yeah. they're the only midwife right. around for an hour or two right. or three or five. I hear mm-hmm. that big yeah. time. Yeah, for for the audience that isn't in the Madison area, we're referencing a group of home birth midwives here that the community is very very lucky to have. Incredibly lucky. Um, we also, I want to just say, have midwives now in both of the hospitals yes. in town that are doing UW, birth, yeah, which was not, not the case when I first got here. When yeah. I first moved to Madison in 2005, there was one midwifery practice in town, which was great, but it was one midwifery practice in town. At you at uh, Meritor Hospital, mm-hmm. and if you didn't have the insurance that covered them, mm-hmm. you were SOL. Mm-hmm. You were not right. going to have a midwife unless you went home. Yeah, as a birth but photographer, have I've attended hospitals, some births with UW and it, midwives, and it's been mm-hmm. and incredible some experiences private physician to witness. Practices oh, yeah. have started bringing midwives into their practices yeah. as well. So now there are, I think, two different mm-hmm. private practice midwife groups in Madison mm-hmm. as well. Can we, for our listeners that aren't as familiar as the three of us around midwifery and even just home birth, mm-hmm. um, if you would be willing to kind of personalize it as mm-hmm. well, and we don't have to like nuts and bolts it of, you know, what is midwifery 101, but mm-hmm. what, why midwifery for you? Oh gosh, so many reasons. I mean, you know, I did a whole bunch of different things before I did midwifery. I didn't, and I was not a nurse, so I always feel like a little tiny bit of an imposter when I say my credential is as a nurse midwife because I'm like, oh, please don't put me on a med surge ward. It would be mm-hmm. just not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have huge respect for what nurses do. They are no for example, kidding. Can right we raise now, our glasses? Mm-hmm. I like to, to raise the glasses to the nurses, yeah. especially right now. I mean, now. they are right the now. front lines right now. Mm-hmm. They're the people who are like taking care day to day, hour to hour, of all the people who are sick and gonna get sick yeah as we record um, this it's march 13th 2020 and we're dealing with and states of emergency are starting yes, to be declared right. all over the country and yes. internationally mm-hmm. um, and our nurses are the ones that are going to be yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. yes so that's why i say i feel a little bit like an imposter because i did not really mm-hmm. i did the courses to get that the rn credential mm-hmm. but i don't really have the chops to claim an rn mm-hmm. credential mm-hmm. um and why am I saying this? Oh, yeah, midwifery. Yeah, why, why midwifery Sorry, for yeah. you? For me. So, I mean, you know, I did a whole bunch of different things before I came to midwifery. And I went to school to do the nurse midwifery track in 1993. Um, and I was at that point like 35 years old, mm-hmm. right? So I had done a whole bunch of different stuff. I ultimately came to midwifery. I mean, I'd always been really compelled by birth. Mm-hmm. I'd not been wildly compelled, honestly, by healthcare okay. as an institution uh, or medicine necessarily as a practice. I mean, I have huge respect for it, but it didn't feel like didn't feel like a thing mm-hmm. that grabbed me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot. Yeah, I'm. I'll, I'm trying. Going to try to readers digest this a little that's, bit. That's great. It goes on. You're going to do but, great. But basically, you know, when I came, to, when I ultimately came to midwifery, I came to it from having worked a little bit internationally, having worked in an indigenous human rights organization, having worked, mm-hmm. having gone to um, divinity school and done theology and feminist um, feminist theology and psychology and studied a whole bunch of different things. And I felt like I, what I know is I want, I want to work in the world in a way that 
asks for the things that I actually have, right? Mm -hmm. So what skill sets do I have to bring? What capacities do I have to bring? What are the things that give me incredible like joy in work? Because Mm -hmm. I wanted work to feel, and I was privileged enough in my life to be able to ask for work to feel joyful to me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. compelling to me. You know, I, I didn't, I was not in a position where I just had to trade my time for money, Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't want to just trade my time for money, and I wanted always to have my effort be in the interests of more life in this life, right? There's a lot of ways to do that. Mm -hmm. But for me, midwifery in particular was about um, seeing the work that mostly gets done by women of birthing people um, and I think is very much a feminist issue Mm -hmm. Um, doing fundamental human rights work in that capacity um, felt really compelling having work that's very much in the body is very compelling to me Mm -hmm. you know I'm real concrete Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I like things to be real concrete but that's also intellectually compelling that's politically compelling that's you know you can teach when you do midwifery. You can do policy work as a midwife. You mm. can do political work as a midwife. You can do intense um, clinical work as a midwife. It's interesting medically, but it's much more compelling interpersonally and mm-hmm. spiritually and emotionally. You know, the vast majority of people who are birthing babies are not having profoundly medical experiences. It's not the main thing that's going on. No. It's ex- extremely important to take that seriously mm-hmm. because people die also mm-hmm. having babies or have big hits to their health or lose babies like that does happen um, and so I think it's really really important to sort of sit at the feet of that process with enormous respect for both the and the incredible power of it and the and the very real vulnerability of it mm-hmm. right and be of service to that um, that was just wildly compelling to me you know, people will ask me sometimes, like, why do you go to births, you know? And I mostly just feel like, well, because people let me. Because, mm. like, you get to sit at the edge of the world with people. You mm. get yeah, to that sit whole at get the edge of thing. the world mm-hmm. with people who are doing this remarkable I've heard you thing. say that. I've heard you say that at, oh, at births mm. before. I've had the privilege to attend a handful of really incredible births with you. And I have heard you. I've heard you reference that of like you are between worlds right now, and just hearing that is just like, yeah, yeah it, it really feels like that. It, really it just is. feels like that. Like I'm really not. Is. I'm not somebody who has a very formed metaphysics. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in a religious tradition that I departed from. I haven't particularly adopted another one. I don't. I'm very agnostic about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not like I have a very formed sense about like where do babies come from? Sure. Where are we all going? Like right. I don't know. But I feel really clear that it's such a remarkable gift to be incarnated as a human on this particular planet. Um, and it's not to say that it's not grievous and difficult and Oh, awful the contrast is real. For yeah, sure. The, there's the contrast is so real. But it's just such an mm-hmm. exquisite thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so the people who are the bringers of life, I just feel like everything should bow down around that. I just <sighs> feel like nothing, there's nothing human without that. There's nothing. Every single thing comes from there, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And to sort of get to sit with those people in those moments at that entry place for new beings is just wild and be of service to that. You know, I feel like that's my role. My role in the world is to pay attention and to like be of service to that process Mm -hmm. of like getting more life in this life. I have to say, (sighs) can we take a moment? 
I have to say that um, some of my favorite <laughs> moments as a birth photographer. Yes, I'm plugging my birth photography right now. But, it okay. is, but more importantly. It's very beautiful. I have seen Yeah, it. you're incredible. But more importantly, my, some of my favorite moments have been capturing you be that witness for the family. Agreed. And it, to the point where I'm like, okay, Andrea, you got to take pictures of the mom. <laughs> You can't just take pictures of Mary, yes, of your please. immaculate Mary, okay? No, please don't, because Mary does not really love, as the midwives in town always tease me about, Mary does not really love having photography. I know, I know. Stealing all those little bits of my soul. But thank you. I mean, you, my births were photographed as well, and the pictures mm-hmm. that are of with you and me mm-hmm. and they're just like there's no words i know <sighs> thank you for lending me pictures for my website you're too, welcome yeah. that is like a real honor oh my gosh yeah it, it is it's a I beautiful mean, what, thing to capture not i mean everybody in the room everything of, of, all of it all i of want it. all of that but mm-hmm. yeah so I mean, what's? Let me just say though, what's an honor? I want to. I want us to. Mm-hmm. I'm. I mean, you're all. You're very kind, and I'm appreciative of. No, that. you're so humble. To no, the no, 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 no. But listen, I really want us. I want us to stay really clear because I don't think it's clear enough still in this culture that the, yes. the real heroes in these stories are the people who are like putting their bodies Babies. in the yeah. service of getting other beings on the planet. Agreed. All of us who were helpful to them. Good job, us. No. Yeah. But, yeah but I just the, think I don't want to really undermine where... how that um, space that you hold and all of you wonderful midwives hold so well. That, I mean, I, and give <laughs> that us... changed me. Yeah. That helped me realize my power. You know? Yes. And I was just going to say, <laughs> and it is, and it is because of that support system. And, and I'm extremely people. lucky. And privileged that I had, you know, again, it's, we're going to get to the accessibility mm-hmm. portion to all of this, mm-hmm. but um, I just don't take that lightly. I don't take mm-hmm. that for granted having those opportunities to birth the way that I did. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah. It's something that really should I, be. It changed me. How as a woman. everybody gets to birth mm-hmm. who chooses to, right? Mm-hmm. Even in a hospital setting, I mm-hmm. will say, even people who have real medical vulnerability who yes. really will be better served by the hospital setting yes. there's no reason why we can't still maintain the centrality of the sacred and the authority of the mm-hmm. birthing person in that setting it's not totally. happening most of the time right the the, the weight right. of the institution is heavier mm-hmm. than the you know than that piece Mm-hmm. Um, and so it tends to get crushed in the mix often, mm-hmm. right? Um, and in the service of quote unquote safety, um, which is not clear that mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, we wanted to no make sure to we clarified it. the language around birthing people. Birthing people, which mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. babies come out of bodies in lots of ways. I mean, anybody with the uterus can have a baby. Yeah, and well, they come not anybody out. can, so, but I mean, has the potential potential yeah. to have a baby. And they don't. They they come out of mom through cesareans too. And so Absolutely. That, um, mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to make sure that's that's very clear mm-hmm. in this conversation that we're yeah, not that just talking still about giving birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of ways to do this heroic piece of work. I, I think all of them are brutally hard. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean. I'm a little sad about some of the like orgasmic birth 
stuff that's out there, mm-hmm. I will confess. Like, mm-hmm. which is not to say that like good for those people if that's their experience, but I've probably been with at this point a couple thousand people having babies Mm -hmm. and I don't think there's one of them who would say that that was an orgasmic experience Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. a a, a peak experience absolutely an incredibly intense experience absolutely a thrilling creative powerful experience but there aren't that many people who would say like that felt really delicious in that way that Mm -hmm. orgasm feels Mm -hmm. yeah and Mm -hmm. I feel like could we just not keep setting the bar higher and Mm -hmm. higher for mm-hmm. people to feel mm-hmm. like they didn't achieve, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say there's so many ways yeah, to get a baby right. here, and sometimes the shit really hits the fan medically. And thank God that we're in a place where you can get a cesarean when it's necessary, and a clean cesarean with appropriate, you know, anti- antimicrobials and mm-hmm. proper follow-up care and all that stuff. Like having worked in a place where you can't reliably. Mm-hmm. That's just a disaster. That's not great. Mm-hmm. Let's not romanticize that. That's mm-hmm. not cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's just that yeah. too much of a good thing isn't a good thing. Well, and just being pregnant right. is so ro- romanticized, too. Right. And pregnant, being pregnant is really hard and brutal on our bodies. A lot of it is. Breastfeeding, all of it all is romanticized. Of it. Uh, yeah. And, and, and mm-hmm. it's know. really variable, though, for different people, totally. right? Like, yes. I've worked with folks who feel like, oh, I hate being pregnant. I love my kids. I hate being pregnant. Mm-hmm. It sucks. I feel miserable. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm queasy. I feel like shit. This is my weird. joints hurt. My ligaments hurt. Like, yeah. this is just, I don't like just it. just want to sleep and, like, yeah. eat. Yeah. I don't, and I don't other like people, this person inside of me. This is... <laughs> and yeah. other people who love it, mm-hmm. who are like, ooh, I feel... And, no, and those yeah. folks often will say, like, ooh, I feel guilty. Like, yeah. people are just like, oh, should you, should you, I guess you feel terrible. And they're like, I don't feel terrible. I'm like, ex- just claim whatever your yeah, experience is. Right. Like, right. they're all experiences. They're exactly. all, it's right. all good. Right. It's all, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's all the stuff that you're doing to get babies here. Mm-hmm. Right. And a cesarean is absolutely a heroic birth. Oh, yeah. there's so no question. Sure. They all are. That's how I came yeah. into the they world. They all are. Yeah. 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 Plus, here, I mean, what a thing to do with your body to oh get my someone God. here. I mean, come right? on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's traumatic, too. Yes. I mean, it can be. It can be really right? traumatic. There are things that, I mean, a, a vaginal birth at home can be traumatic. Absolutely. Right? Like, yes. trauma mm-hmm. doesn't have to do with, or what has less to like. do with what the events are, the, spe- and, the specificities of the events. And it has much more to do with, like, how is that person seen? How does that person feel about this? What story you know, is pertaining here, mm-hmm. right. right? So a woman who is at and, home. And what who, led up to all the you know yeah what led up to all of it too i mean a woman who's at home who has a birth that looks to any external observer like a really normal first baby birth for example goes on and on and on sometimes (laughs) right pretty normal looks pretty Mm -hmm. overwhelming and intense baby comes out everybody's medically good breastfeeding goes okay like that can be nonetheless a really deeply traumatized person Mm -hmm. If that person doesn't feel like they were seen Mm -hmm. through that, if they felt like they were on the lip of dying the whole time Mm -hmm. and, you know, this was terrible and that was either invalidated or just missed, you know, Mm -hmm. which can happen, which, I mean, I had a client who had a really, a birth like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't really know until her subsequent baby how traumatized she felt sure. by that labor. Sure. Right. Because it was so shocking to her. I mean, she happened to be someone who was pretty quiet and contained, but in her subsequent pregnancy, it came we up talked again. a lot yeah. about what that was. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I own not seeing it. Like, 
It wasn't for lack of watching her, but I absolutely missed it. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, so that can happen for people. Yeah, that's such a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. I would love I would love to just take the conversation to right now in Madison, as we said earlier, we live in an incredible community where yes. home birth is accessible mm-hmm. and available and mm-hmm. we have this strong incredible group of people working together great communication and it's and it's working really well um could you speak to why home birth what is it about Mm -hmm. the access and the availability Mm -hmm. for home birth that is feels really valuable and yeah that wouldn't think to or maybe is however for them yeah. Just I mean, so first of all, I would say, like, I don't think home birth is a panacea. I don't mm-hmm. think it's for everybody. I don't think it's the best way to have a baby necessarily or best place to have a baby. Right. Like, I agree. I don't think, you know, I don't hold it up over hospital birth in any way. And I would never in a million years try to talk somebody into it. Uh-huh. You know, I want people who are birthing babies to feel like they have options about where and with whom they do that wild thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, and even even within the range of like, what do I prefer for myself as a birthing person? There also are some realities about medical vulnerability that should be taken into account. And and home's not the best place for everybody. Right. It's not the best place for every baby. It's not the best place for every birthing person. Um, but it can be not just an equally good, but an optimal place, mm-hmm. I think, for some people. I, you know, as I said, I worked in hospitals for essentially the first 10 years of my practice life in a variety of hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I loved those jobs. And I thought we did brilliant work in those mm-hmm. settings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ultimately, so, so, and I really don't ever want to work someplace where, I mean, ideally, I wouldn't want to work as a home birth midwife in a place where you couldn't get good hospital backup. You know, if somebody right, yeah, develops, yeah, yeah, if a baby yeah. or or a or a birthing person develops medical vulnerabilities that would be better served by mm-hmm. the hospital setting, I want one that's there that and we have integrated access to that's going to mm-hmm. be supportive and provide mm-hmm. excellent. It's team. Care. It's a team approach rather than yeah. yeah it's an mm-hmm. integrated systems approach, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that's lacking in most mm-hmm. of the U.S. around home birth, right? Yes, um, it's we like have a, it more yeah. than some places do, but we're not integrated. Not in the sense that it is in the British mm-hmm. model or the Dutch model. Yeah. Where it's really integrated, and even the Canadian model. Um, so we have more or less cordial, informal relationships around the U.S. Mm-hmm. Home birth midwives and hospital um, midwives and docs. Madison has a pretty good informal, cordial, I think, um, relationship to the mm-hmm. hospital-based mm-hmm. midwives. Do you want to do you want to expound on like why why do you think that is here that, that in Madison or just in general mm-hmm. in the United States why? Um, yeah, it's just not more of this like collective effort to just provide the best. Misunderstandings or right? Is it just a cultural attitude around birth? It's at I the think root a, of it. I think it's probably. I mean, I, this is not. I don't feel like an area of expertise for me, but my experience about it is that it's to some extent really cultural, mm-hmm. and it's to some extent like um, structural and financial, and it has to do with how we put healthcare together. Like, yeah, healthcare in the United States is a profit, an industrial profit model business. Um, and in those kinds of settings, you there are turf wars, and you know you ha- you get paid for productivity, and mm-hmm. you need to hold it's on. It's driven to, by it's just constantly influenced and driven by that. Very it's driven thing. by that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's driven by that a lot. And there's a, there's definitely a cultural piece. So, for example, my partner mm-hmm. um, Claire 
was practiced as an OB, did her residency and practiced as an OB in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then on the Navajo reservation and the Navajo Nation. She she trained in a hospital where there was a really well-established, strong midwifery practice mm-hmm. and came out of that. And, and it came from the top down, too. I mean, the physicians also told the residents as they came in and the interns as they came in, like, these are our colleagues. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are the experts in normal. The, you know, you back them up in these ways. Wow. And you back up the community midwives, too, the home birth midwives in Albuquerque. They're going to call and consult, and you're going to consult with them, mm-hmm. right? And so the expectation was really clear. And so, That's amazing. And the Indian Health Service also, at least in, in Navajo area, is a primarily midwifery model of care. And there are physicians who are critical to that, integrated in the, and the yeah. midwife and doc teams are integrated in those hospitals in a way that I actually haven't experienced any place else that I've worked. Mm-hmm. It's notable to me that on Navajo, you know, that's essentially socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what socialized medicine looks like, mm-hmm. or one version of what socialized medicine looks like. When people walk in the door to those hospitals, you don't you know, you, you don't do this like, which provider can you go to because right. of your insurance? And da, da, right. da, 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 da. you're just like, what do you need? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we manage all of that in the billing office. And I'm sure, let me say, I'm sure it's vastly more complex than that in the billing office. Right. But for the providers and the patients in those hospitals, we're just not thinking about that stuff. It's not it's not relevant. And there's not a like turf war over like, well, I need to have these numbers. You know, yeah, I mean, doesn't that just change the whole approach to the quality of care for people? I mean, right. Mm -hmm. How can it not? Like, yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, I think liability in this country is also a big, a big pressure. Most OBGYNs get sued. Yeah. And why do most OBGYNs get sued? That's really complicated, Mm -hmm. right? One reason I think is because medicine overpromises. If you take a bunch of people and you say like, or you make the impression, if you do everything that we tell you, everything will be good. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then something goes wrong. Right. Well, then the patient is going to feel like, well, somebody fucked something up yeah. and I did everything you told me. Right. So you're going to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Right. So overpromising sometimes, is right. not cool and it's not helpful and ultimately mm-hmm. get, bites you in the butt. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think that happens is that um, we don't have socialized medicine. We don't have a safety net. So if a family walks into a hospital pregnant and a baby gets born who has you name it, some birth injury um, that's going to require shorter or longer term care, they're fucked, Mm -hmm. you know, unless they happen to have great insurance and stay in that job forever. Who's where's the money coming from to Mm -hmm. take care of this kid? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. In in systems where there are big social safety nets and there are services provided for injured children, you don't have to sue for three million or twelve million dollars, in order to make sure your kid is covered for their lifetime. So I think right. that that contributes too. Yeah. I mean, I think families are bankrupted by. We know that in this country, yeah. like families are bankrupted by medical bills. Mm-hmm. A special needs child is an extremely expensive mm-hmm. family member, mm-hmm. right? Because as a culture, because we haven't the... made the decision, mm-hmm. yeah, to just take care of all of us. Mm-hmm. Right. This is pretty common sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So right. people are afraid. You know, people are afraid about, I mean, providers, I think, in hospital settings are afraid. It also has to do with that kind of training. Like, if you are trained to feel comfortable in doing birth, assisting and attending birth, in a setting where you've got X many personnel available, X many tools available, Mm -hmm. an OR, you know, that's open all the time, anesthesia in-house, 
you're going to feel if you put that person and put them even into a like way out in the country setting. Mm-hmm. You take a OB who works in a tertiary care setting, so like Meritor or St. Mary's, where sure. all of those levels of care are available. There's a NICU right there. There's an ICU right there. The building is full of specialists and subspecialists. You take that person and you put them like way out in... A more rural a, setting. A, a, yeah, take them up to like Barrow, Alaska, and put them into a place where, you know, they don't have all that. That's going to feel a little bit anxiety-provoking. Sure. Put them at home, and they're just going to feel like, oh my God, I don't have any of the stuff right. that I need to do the work that I know how to do that I'm good at. Right. I want, Like if I went to a birth and didn't have my kit, frankly, I would feel a little nervous. I, didn't, I like to have my anti-hemorrhagic medications mm-hmm. with me. I know you do. Yeah. You know? Because I, it's like, like, I like that stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I needed it. I Cheers needed to it. Pitocin. Cheers to Pitocin. Put it in my leg. And also, like a faucet. also, let me just say... <laughs> Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Yeah. So appropriate yes. use of yes. all of this stuff yes. is what we're aiming for. Yes. But I am I'm also not I'm not a doctrinaire clinician, you know? You got something that's useful? Tell me. Right. You got something that's useful? Tell me. I'll take it from the old midwifery tradition, I'll take it from the obstetric tradition, I'll take it from if it's useful, I'll take it. If it's yeah. gonna help my people, I want it. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm pretty sure that the midwives in the you know 1800s in this country, or even the early 1900s in this country, if they had been able to carry pit in their bag, they, they would have carried some pit in their bag. They would have. <laughs> I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, because keeping people alive so, is awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna <laughs> speak a little bit from. So when I so that was a when rambly, I was pre- I'm not sure. No, no I'm you are so doing great. great. I'm sorry. When I was pregnant perfect. for the first time, I I didn't know that home birth was an option. Mm-hmm. So I started with an OB, technically two of them, and. Um, neither of them had the, wanted to make a commitment to be at the birth, mm-hmm. which it's not was it very confusing for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. ended up at the home birth center or the, the birth, center. The birth, the birth center, center, which meant you could either choose to birth there mm-hmm. or choose to birth at home. Which is confusing for people, an out-of-hospital birth center. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it's a freestanding hospitals, right. Right. But... I, when I think about it, to not, so growing up in the 90s, mm-hmm. <laughs> when reality TV was kind of new, you know, there were TV shows that when they portrayed birth, even in movies, when birth was portrayed, it was very scary. It was mm-hmm. very, you, you just don't have control over this experience. So mm-hmm. again, I want to reiterate on this um how this information is important for people to just understand what their choices are. Mm-hmm. Because if you're experiencing, if you're very healthy and you're experiencing a healthy pregnancy, mm-hmm. consider home birth. And um, just, I mean, again, like, yeah, it's worth, it's, not it's even, worth considering all your options. Yes. Right. Which is yeah. what I've always appreciated um, from having your care, mm-hmm. being under your care is like having all the options laid out mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. with a lot of information yeah. and, and being given the the confidence to just trust that I know what choices I want, what, mm-hmm. what right. choices I'm going to make, and I'm going right. to make the right one for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, like, let's kind of expand on, like, why, why choose home birth? Yeah. Then? Because... So I will say when I... Like, do you still... Do you, like, yeah. are the stigmas still... Because... Sure. Again, like I mean, there are we're in a bubble where like home birth is just more common to be yeah considered. Yes. 
But there are still plenty of people who come and land in my office and sit on my couch and say, like, oh, my mother, my mother-in-law, my father, my sister, my friends, everybody at work thinks I'm crazy. Yeah, my, my whole, for doing no this. offense to my family, but they thought I was crazy. Right. Oh, yeah. like, but oh, that's yeah. understandable. Yeah, they and I, love you yes. and they want you to be safe. Right. And everything the culture has ever said to them is... Birth is nuts birth and scary is dangerous and dangerous. And anything could happen and, and it, But it parallels with, like, it parallels with... The message that's given to women, which is that you you won't you won't have control in your body. You don't you well, can't you, trust your body. Those are two different statements. Okay. Right? Because yeah. I would say I would ask both of you as people who've birthed babies, did you feel in control of that process actually? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a good point. Right? I that's don't think anybody's point. in control of that process. I think you get pregnant, you stepped into the stream, dear. Now you're going to take that ride. And mm-hmm. like, it's ha- it's helpful to have the like, some skills for navigating the white water. You don't know. Are you going to go down the lazy little stream? It's so true, Mary. Or are yes. you going to take right. the big rough ride? And, and each oh of my, my births gosh, were there's different. a waterfall on your route. You don't know. And what each that of my births were different. Have. And when I yeah. think about it, for the first one, I definitely didn't feel like I was con- quote unquote in control right. of it. But there is like a trust. For sure. The trust factor. Let me make a distinction uh, that I think is useful between having control and having authority. Okay. Awesome. I think having control means that you can make things happen or not happen. And that just doesn't happen around birth. Mm -hmm. You know, birth is a process that like, like I said, it's like you step into the stream and energy is moving through you. It is a lot of energy. You are riding it. You are moving with it. And your environment is affecting it too. All of these things are, right, all of these things are happening. But I don't think anyone is in control Mm -hmm. of that process. We can affect it in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Authority, I think, is really different. Authority has the, is, is, addresses the question of like, Who's in charge here in the sense of like whose yes. who's truth about what's happening matters the most, right? And who gets to make decisions ultimately about what happens, right? What choices get made. And I think that that must, unless you are dealing with a truly authentically not competent person, yes. so someone yes. who is really not in their mind in a reliable way, unless you're dealing with somebody who's impaired in that way, it always, that authority always rests with the person who's birthing. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're the most knowledgeable person in the room about obstetrics or midwifery. No, or, it's, but it's about... But it's about still, it's still... The experience you're having from within yes, your body. To say what's happening is still yours to do. I'm coming, I guess I was coming from was this brilliant. place of like, when I, for the first time, um, I remember while I was pregnant thinking, well... I'm just going to get told what to do because that's what... Right. That was your experience. I just give up my power to this experience Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to know what I'm doing (laughs) and I'm not going to be able to trust my my body. That's kind of where I was. And 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 to to completely shift that and to completely start challenging the cultural Mm -hmm. messages Mm -hmm. in that... In that way was was truly life changing. Really, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's influenced me as a mom. Mm-hmm. Now it's influ- influenced me just as a woman. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like once mm-hmm. they kind of, if they got to, if they were able to get to that point of being like, wait a minute, yeah, mm-hmm. this is my experience, mm-hmm. right? You know, that this, intensity <clears throat> is is your own body. This, yeah, I feel like this is a great time to pivot just with talking about like I am the authority of my body and <clears throat> talking about choices 
Mm-hmm. I would like to now open up the conversation to talk about abortion. Okay. And but I'm going to back up for a quick second. Back up because I don't want to lose this one piece. Yes, and let's 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 kind of. But I'm happy right. to talk about it. Let's well, let's up. conclude why why considering yeah. home birth is right. just why. But but I feel like this is a really nice transition to really talk about like yeah. authority, access, availability, yep. mm-hmm. yes. authority. Mm-hmm. Happy to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two two more things mm-hmm. about this. Before Give we, us ten before more things, we Mary. Sh- before we sh- Give us a hundred <laughs> more things. I want to say about this is the new. The, what's your podcast about? We have Mary Moore on <laughs> for every episode, and you're gonna love it. You're going to learn so much. So <laughs> you're you're saying, Andrea, you're describing yourself as like, well, when I first got pregnant with my first baby, I just thought I'm going to show up and and they're going to tell me what to do. And I don't know. And I have to give up control. And, cause and, it sound, and it's probably going to be really say, scary. I want to say that is not your that is not your native location. You mm-hmm. were schooled very specifically into that location. Yes. Right? yes. That, cr- that location mm. was created for you as a space to occupy very carefully over many years. Yes. And what's that made of? It's made partly of, you know, we do a shit job about teaching people about their own biology mm-hmm. and how bodies work. And, you know, yes, no you kidding. We Honestly, do a shit job. We do. We do a terrible we job of that do. in grade school and in high school. We limit even, even educate. I mean, birth if it gets discussed at all, <laughs> it's like it's part of sex education, and it's basically about how to not get pregnant by not having sex with anyone. Or mm-hmm. if you do, and it's a boy, use condoms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or it's a girl with a penis, use condoms, mm-hmm. right? You got somebody with a penis in your body, put a condom on it, then you don't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's about it. That's about it. They showed us a, tra- a traumatic nobody. teenager giving birth in our... Yeah, well, that, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to scare you away from it. So you take <laughs> that, and you combine... So you combine... Fear. You combine... <laughs> cultivated ignorance mm-hmm. right and let me tell you like every come on you guys have kids every little kid they're all over their bodies all of it mm-hmm. all they're over like them. all curious about this they don't have yeah. a big judgment about like ooh, you shouldn't touch that or no. don't look at this or any of this it's mm-hmm. just like all there you start telling them about birth you start telling them about this wild fascinating thing they're going to be all about it mm-hmm. they're going to be fascinated mm-hmm. so it's not just that humans don't want to know this and it's mm-hmm. this big taboo no, thing no that is it's totally not, conditioned there's nothing natural about that that's entirely cultural you combine that then with cultural imaging around birth yes that you know it, I, as i mean until like Call the Midwife is doing a better job of it, the British series Call mm-hmm. the Midwife. But in general, I think if you look at most American media about birth, mm-hmm. until the last few years when there are a few exceptions to this rule, mm-hmm. birth is one of two things in the popular media. It's either fucking terrifying, mm-hmm. right? Like there was an ER, you guys are too young for this, but there was an ER <laughs> episode that was. We grew up on ER. Like maybe in the early nineties, we probably saw it. Oh my yeah. gosh! Where this woman <laughs> into the emergency room and she's got a pregnant, she's got a headache, and yada yada yada. And every unlikely, I mean, could she have preeclampsia? Absolutely. Yes. Could that have been a miss? Yes. Could all the rest of what happened happen? No. No, not in a big city mm-hmm. hospital. The stuff that goes on, the Zavanelli maneuver—they're trying to put the baby's head back in after it's born. Like that. This is like mm-hmm. extraordinarily uncommon stuff. And ev- all my p- friends were calling me up going like, Mary, oh my God, oh my God, right? Did so, you see ER? <laughs> and there's all sorts of other variations on that, right? Where like 
people barely survive mm-hmm. the birth and mm-hmm. only do because TLC of the... TLC had the, had the very popular real, reality TV birth show. I don't even remember I was in I was anymore, a freshman in college, yeah. Every, every episode uh-huh. was traumatic. Every episode right. was an emergency. Right. Every, it was... Because that makes good TV, mm-hmm. they think. So the alternative to that is the Keystone Cops. Uh-huh. The alternative to that is... You know, some woman is usually dressed up and maybe she's out at a restaurant or something and her water breaks and mm-hmm. instantaneously she's in labor, mm-hmm. raging labor. And then it's I Love Lucy and she's like, <laughs> ah! and she's in the back of the cab and she's screaming and she's hitting her partner and everybody's rolling their eyes, right? Yeah, she's and screaming she's at everybody. Mm-hmm. Right, she's a joke. She's a joke, and she's mm-hmm. out yeah. of control. Right. Exactly. There's nothing heroic about it. You don't see imaging around birth that says this is sacred, and this is heroic, Spiritual. and this is, like, mm-hmm. the biggest thing that anybody does on the planet. Come mm-hmm. on, y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that 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 is very I carefully get... cultivated to get you to the point where you're well, it's a 20-something the... or a teen-something or a 30- or a 40-something woman who is pregnant for the first time and, you know— you're like, oh, I better do what they tell me. Mm-hmm. That's patriarchy, right? isn't it? I mean, yes, mm-hmm. it comes from and that. it's money, and it's, it's money. capitalism, mm-hmm. patriarchy, and capitalism. Yeah, I was writing about it in my <laughs> it's a journal really bad combo this week, for Mary. People, mm-hmm. I wrote capitalism and patriarchy in yeah. the same sentence in, in your my journal. Journaling. Oh shoot! <laughs> yes, Damn shit's it. real. Okay. Okay. There was so, a second thing, which was the like, yeah. why consider home birth? And I was saying, you know, part of what I wanted to say about that is like, I did not leave hospitals because I hate hospitals. I think yeah. you can have a brilliant, beautiful birth in a hospital. I witnessed beautiful it's births in hospitals. It's a little harder to do. You know, it's a little harder to hold that space and like muscle it out of the institutional yeah. stuff that happens it's, there. It there's takes a lot, a lot of more like, intention. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. a lot in, a, in an institution. It's just the nature of institutions mm-hmm. to have rules and protocols and you're going to do the same things to everybody because you don't want to miss something mm-hmm. right which i understand if mm-hmm. you're taking care of a lot of people Gotta you don't have the time right? and the and the capacity to like really know that one person mm-hmm. really be sitting with that one person really attending to that one person yeah you have a bunch of people that you have to watch and and you can create safety by following the foot in the footsteps of the air traffic control people mm-hmm. who have like lots of algorithms, mm-hmm. right? And there is, if you're going to work in an industrial healthcare setting, which a hospital is, algorithms are going to be useful to mm-hmm. you. They are going to be useful to you, right? So, but that doesn't mean you can you can you can do some some of the both where you ideally you do I think you can. Yeah, but we're not. Actually but we're not doing that very well. Different hospitals are different yeah. about it for sure. But I think so. What I ultimately came to feel was like I love I loved working in all these settings because birth is birth is birth on some level. But I did I came to feel that hospital settings in this country anyway were not serving healthy people mm-hmm. who were having normal mm-hmm. yep. pregnancy, birth, and postpartum hello experiences, I felt like those were not optimal settings anymore. They're acceptable settings. Mm-hmm. And if somebody has, like I said, mul- medical vulnerability or somebody is very clear that they do not want to feel their birth in their body, mm-hmm. they should go to a hospital because mm-hmm. the resources will be there to help you do the kind of birth you need or want Yeah, to I mean, I like to very, I like to be very clear and intentional as a home birther mm-hmm. that having births at home is not a direct stance against having births in hospitals. Absolutely not. No, it's about where I you feel I always make safe. that very yeah. clear. Like, I chose to birth at home because of personal experiences I had in hospitals 
growing up. Mm -hmm. And I felt that once I knew that was a very healthy option for me in Mm -hmm. my healthy pregnancies, it was Mm -hmm. safe. Yeah. It was the safer option Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Because once I started understanding how much my environment is going to affect my labor, Mm -hmm. I knew that the home was optimal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, I was lucky to have that. I I was, I was healthy. So I Mm -hmm. could have that choice. Mm -hmm. But access but, is variable from state to yes, state and, the some, access and piece. location to location. And some of that has to do with how midwifery is regulated, mm-hmm. you know, in this country, both nurse midwifery and um, non-nurse midwifery, for lack of a better term. And that's an awkward term. But certified professional midwives and other types of midwives work in this country mm-hmm. yeah. are not licensed or regulated in all 50 states. And there's controversy even about licensing and regulation. There are absolutely sure. people who feel like licensing and regulating is is the death knell. Right, that's basically putting midwifery under the auspices of the state, which sort of puts it under the auspices of the obstetric establishment mm-hmm. to some extent. Okay. And people feel like that's a terrible thing to do to midwifery. Other people feel like that's a really useful thing to do because some collective responsibility and regulation kind of helps us weed out providers who aren't as sure. well prepared okay. or well trained, mm-hmm. sure. um, and also provide some some protection to the providers. Right, like clinicians who are working as midwives in states where midwifery is not formally recognized Mm -hmm. can get into trouble for quote unquote practicing medicine without a license if the shit hits the fan. And the shit's always going to hit the fan sometimes. Mm -hmm. It does in the hospital, it does out of the Mm -hmm. hospital. I don't mean to minimize that, right? right? Like we should be doing everything we can to help that not happen because that's what service to this process really is. Yeah. But those lovely. Abortion, what do you want me to speak to about abortion? I mean, I think abortion should be like available on demand uh-huh. to anybody who wants it uh-huh. without restrictions. Uh-huh. It should be paid for by insurance, including government mm-hmm. provided insurance. Uh-huh. Why? Why? Because if you don't have, because if you don't have authority over how you, you use your own body, you don't have authority mm-hmm. about anything. Mm-hmm. It's meaningless to say. I mean, we have a big thing about freedom in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that if you don't mm-hmm. have the freedom mm-hmm. to say no, mm-hmm. you don't have any freedom. You don't have freedom mm-hmm. then. at all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And Amen. like, you know, the the women primarily and genderqueer and trans men, the folks who birth babies deserve the same freedom in their bodies and autonomy in their bodies and authority over their bodies as people with penises. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I just kind of think, I mean, and I, let me say, I grew up Catholic and I am, I really get that people have a huge variety of spiritual, religious, and ethical beliefs about the status of a fetus. The soul, right? when does the soul... All of that. All of it. I get it. it. I huge, really do get it. Huge I piece totally of the story. Yes, and I would never deny or take away from someone who feels like the second that they're pregnant, there is an ensouled being in their body to whom they now owe mm-hmm. the, themselves, right? sure. their, their service. I think that's beautiful. If that's what someone believes, if that's mm-hmm. where they're living from, then I support, let's then bring to that person the support that they need yep. to have a healthy pregnancy and birth and, you know, options and after follow- birth. Yes. Right. Right. All of that. 
Um, but I think it's not the job of the state to legislate for all people with uteruses to decide right what that what that metaphysical position should especially be especially when right the the resources and the accessibility and the support generally speaking culturally speaking isn't there right uh-huh so if you know i mean there's incredible hypocrisy about that yes. in this country right like please yes you know every every fetus is a sacred being but as soon as they're born well you don't give a shit about the mom then they're a drain on society okay. right especially if they're a black or brown baby mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. right or they're a poor of any color a poor baby right then they're a drain on society and that parent isn't irresponsible yeah that, there's so it's talking out of both sides of the mouth so to speak it's bizarre i mean there's no way to construct this that isn't, I mean, legislatively. Yeah. There's no way to construct this that's not about patriarchy and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I think if we, I feel like access to abortion and an understanding of like how enormous, profound, heroic birth is, pregnancy and birth are, I think, I feel like they go together, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you acknowledge what a big deal it is mm-hmm. to hand your body over to the service of another being, mm-hmm. it alters you permanently. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if a if a fetus has grown in your body and you have given birth to a baby or you have lost a baby, you are altered, biologically altered forever, mm-hmm. right? Some people in really profound ways that are impairments mm-hmm. to their ongoing existence. Yep. Some people mm-hmm. are killed by the process, rarely, relatively in this mm-hmm. country, but not rarely enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with, you know, even folks for whom birth goes swimmingly, it's we so... know, yeah, we know that there are things that change about bodies. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And never mind like what it is to parent beings. That's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. It's a whole nother podcast. If we recognize how huge a deal that is, I think it's really, really wrong of us to impose it on anyone. Mm-hmm. It should mm-hmm. only ever be chosen. Mm-hmm. You know? well, I think such a a point a, a such a big point that's made around this conversation is that if you inherently don't value people with uteruses, mm-hmm. right, women, people who identify as women, if you're not inherently valuing them, or people as, that identify as men with uteruses, yes, yes mm-hmm. then yes. then the rest of it is not going to be honored, right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're always we, we see a lot of the symptoms, but we don't want to get down to those roots. Mm-hmm. And this is a dom like there are just tons of domino effects that's, yes. that come yeah. from all of this yes. mm-hmm. and the quality of the health of a family. You know, mm-hmm. it just keeps going on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So indeed. I mean, there, there, and there are parallels, you know, there are, there are a lot of parallels that happen all through around Mm -hmm. reproduction, right? Like abortion is one thread, but you see the same sorts of things happening in the, I mean, a variation of that theme is VBAC, Mm -hmm. for example, which you cannot get still in places in this country or some hospitals. Hospitals Mm -hmm. have, have the right, which they value for themselves to say, we don't do VBAC. Right. We don't offer VBAC. Right. We're not going to, quote unquote, let you VBAC. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just sort of feel like, okay, because, and I understand the complexity of that in hospital settings. Sure. I do understand the complexity of it. But I, but the American College of OBGYNs has said very clearly that hospitals that are not going to provide that service need to be able to refer people mm. 
to places that will provide that service sure. to providers who will provide that service. That's not happening uniformly. Some of that's because the providers say like, well, I don't know, your insurance doesn't cover. Shit out of luck. So you're, yeah. And sometimes it's logistics. It's like, oh, great. Well, if you live in a very rural area and the next nearest hospital is three hours away mm-hmm. and you have six kids at home and you had a cesarean with your last one and now you would really like to, mm-hmm. I mean, if For, you don't have a provider who's willing to do that mm-hmm. there, it may just not be logistically possible right. or financially possible. Yeah, there are a lot of areas. And, yeah. and I just, for listeners, to just, just want to kind I'll of break it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah be back. Vaginal birth after a cesarean birth. Right. Right. So, yes, that's clarified. Um, I Which agree. is not something that everyone should do or should necessarily want to do, but sh- but it should it, always be. choice. It should always be a choice when it is medically reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that should not just be up to the individual provider sitting at the table. There are nationally discussed criteria about some of these things. Right. And ultimately, frankly, it's always up to the individual. Even if even if I as a provider think it's a bad idea, mm-hmm. it's, it's their choice. Still up to the individual. It should be up, it should be up to them. There are a very, mm-hmm. very few situations in which it's a it should be made clear to the pregnant person that this is like extraordinarily dangerous. Mm-hmm. So a previa, if you if you have a placenta that's overlying, entirely overlying the cervix, mm-hmm. and there's no way to open the cervix and move the baby down through mm-hmm. without breaking open the placenta or ripping the placenta, mm-hmm. which is going to cause Oof. terrific bleeding and is mm-hmm. probably threatening, you know, going to, I mean, will it? usually very quickly end the baby's life and probably end mm-hmm. the mother's life as well. Um, you know, that's a rare situation. A non-negotiable, right. Yeah, but I mean, all of the other, all of the, almost all of the other indications, it, our job, I feel like our job as healthcare clinicians is to like really, really make sure that we inform people, right? That we make it very clear to people what what the likelihoods are that's our job our job is to know this stuff Mm -hmm. and then communicate it in ways that people can understand and we can have opinions but people get to disagree and and say like the individual's choices yeah Mm -hmm. what do you like your families that you work with what Mm -hmm. do you want people to know about the decision around circumcision I want them to know a couple things about it. I mean, I generally ask families when we get to third trimester and we're starting to talk about birth and the routine stuff that happens with babies, you know, we I have a pretty standard conversation with folks, which starts with um, if they know they're having a boy baby um, or a baby with a penis, I tend to refer to these honestly as innies and outies in my practice. I'm okay. Like, you either have, generally speaking, you either have a baby whose genitalia is pretty much tucked up or you have a baby whose genitalia is an outie. Right? So can it's just I use all this? Yeah, this? Feel can we, free. Can we coin this? Because it separates just... gender a little bit, and it's babies, so it's a little, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, innies and outies. Innies and outies, right. All right. So if you have an outie, and the, and the you know, the cultural norm for a long time in this country anyway was do a removal of the foreskin mm-hmm. of that baby within 24 to 48 Routine. hours of birth. Yeah. I ask people, is, is circumcision something that's on the table? For you guys, as a that's where a, you start. Sure, that's where I start is ask them because a lot of clients now are saying like no. Mm-hmm. I'm like great, save to me the rest of that conversation. Mm-hmm. If they say yes, we're absolutely going to do it, or I'm not really sure. My next question is, can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. You open to talking about that mm-hmm. some, and then the conversation goes 
in a number of different directions depending on where they're coming from, right? Mm -hmm. Because a family that's like, well, I don't really know, or in a heterosexual couple where the, you know, it's usually the mom saying, well, I'm going to let that be his decision because I don't have a penis. I hear, I mean, I hear that from people. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, yes, we're absolutely doing it. Um, Then I want to have a conversation with people and and I let them know a couple things really clearly. One is I respect their rights and authority as parents mm-hmm. to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, and another is I think circumcision is not something that we should be practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, I think that unconsenting, uh, entirely cosmetic surgery that's basically about gender norming mm-hmm. um, is mm-hmm. just not legit as, mm-hmm. a, as a thing to do to an unconsenting newborn um, for no good reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, circumcision in this country has been a cultural practice in search of a medical rationale for a long time. <laughs> That's such a good yeah, way to they put couldn't it. find and every. <laughs> they kept looking. They couldn't find. They're still it. looking. I mean, every X many years, you get a new, uh-huh. you know, like rationale for doing it. Well, it's uh-huh. all about hygiene. I'm like, really? No. Yeah. Because soap and water, we used have you, you know, ever have you ever not taken a shower? Yeah. You know, or it's about, you know, it's about HIV mm-hmm. or it's about now mm-hmm. it's about, you know, HPV or mm-hmm. it's about it's always about something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I and I want to but I want to also be really respectful of, you know, cultural stuff is deep, right? Like oh, we're yeah. human animals. Gosh, we're not so rabbits. Real. We mm-hmm. have we have complicated culture and we are constructed so by it. And it's important. Mm-hmm. It's really important. So I don't want to dismiss it. Um, but for but to but to like foster a space again to just can we just I just want people to ask the questions. Yeah, let's yeah. just talk about this. Let's get. Yeah. I want an understanding of where you're coming from. Yeah, and, sure. And, yeah, and, and just having the conversation through. can can shift. Something. And it's useful to talk about female genital cutting. Yes, you know, um, absolutely. Because that, otherwise known as female genital mutilation, right? Which we should also use that term. We should also use for circumcision. Um, if we're gonna, yeah, if we're gonna use it for female genital cutting, yes. if we're gonna use the term circumcision for males, we should use the term. I think we should use the term female genital cutting because that practice is just as culturally important to the people who practice it, and is just as normal to the people sure, who practice sure. it as male genital as male genital cutting mm-hmm. in the U.S. So mm-hmm. are we? Are we kind of in? Are we kind of naive about the how common it is that that? That female gen- genital cutting is. I, I mean, mean, it's not super common. It just depends on where you are. There mm-hmm. has been a bit of an increase in young women having it, this procedure done in the states. Uh huh. You mean in co- where having vulva reconstructive co- cosmetic? Oh well, that's a for a very that's different a slightly practice. different. That's different. So yeah. I would make a distinction between anything adults are doing to their bodies Versus and what's being done child. to children. Right. Of course, Being yeah. Unconsenting, right? No, I mean vaginoplasty and and you know vulvar cons- cosmetic surgery is one of the most common surgeries in the country right Wait, now. Wait, one of the most say. common? It's becoming right now? incredibly common. Yeah. Wow. Is that from porn? Yeah, because your pussy got to look pretty, honey. It's not good enough for your pussy it's to look just like be a, there. Like a girl's. It's got to look like. Like your, like like your pre puberty. It's got to look like the pictures. Gotta like nice and all tight and jeez. You know, women have their if women have a more butterfly labia, women will get their inner labia trimmed, trimmed, so that they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all kinds of. I mean, there's all kinds of. Well, I mean, reconstructive surgery, right? That's a 
plastic surgeries, cosmetic surgeries. That's a whole other set of conversations. It and is. I want to be. But really- there are, but there are demographics in the country that are doing it to female babies. Their circumcision, what are we, I'm sorry, what were you? Female genital cutting, I think. Female genital the, cutting. I mean, male genital cutting, you know, infant genital cutting sure. is probably infant, the most yes. neutral okay. way I to just talk want, about this. Yeah, I want, I, I like that people but hear us process this language yeah, because yeah. I'm still learning all the time. Totally. Yeah. And I want to be very yeah, we're not, humble we're not about that. I'm not an yeah. expert. Yeah. But uh, there are pockets in the country that are. There are certainly some, I mean, for it's cultural, not happening in medical settings. It's for not cultural happening reasons. in medical settings, but it is happening some outside of medical settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, interestingly, mm. so there was a, I, I'm, I'm going to get the timeline wrong on this, but in, I want to say it's in the Seattle area, there was actually a proposal um, made in the hospital at one point, this is years ago, it's maybe 15 years ago. Um, but again, I'm, I don't remember, I don't have the timeline available mm-hmm. to me off the top of my head. There was a proposal that was uh, essentially seen by, I think, the hospital folks who were presenting it as a harm reduction strategy. Um, and they were saying, like, we have a community here who culturally really, really value female genital cutting. It's very important. And mm-hmm. they're asking it to be done in the hospital setting so that it is hygienic and there's some, you know, pain relief for the baby. Sure. And we do it to boy babies here. And so sure. a proposal was actually made to do a very tiny ritual nick cut of the clitoral hood sure. on female um, infants whose parents wanted that done. And the folks, again, the folks presenting this as a proposal saw this as a harm reduction strategy and saw this as a, like, if we don't offer this service in it's the gonna hospital, be done out people of are going to take their babies home and somebody in the community is going to do it on the kitchen table because it's important to people. It matters. These what are, are some of the reasons why that is important for, pe- for the some? Same, I think some of the same reasons why we think male circumcision is important. You know, for people who do the the things that I hear from families are, I want my kid to look like me. Yep. I want my kid to look like his big brother or his mm-hmm. cousins. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to look different than the kids in school and be ostracized. This is just what, what a, we do. Right. In a culture that where it's normative to do female genital cutting, that's also a really concern, a big concern. I don't want my daughter to be shunned. I don't want my daughter to be different from everybody else. I don't want my daughter to be unmarriageable. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a real concern. Right. Like if you're unmarriageable in a highly patriarchal culture, you're screwed or not. This stuff but, makes me mm-hmm. so sad. <sighs> but so but so I would say I would ask I think what I would ask people to do as you're thinking about it is like I share that and I understand it but I would also ask you to like step back from that a little bit and grant that humans do we all do all kinds of wacky shit for cultural reasons that Mm -hmm. other cultures look at and go oh my god that's so horrific yeah right but it's useful to to put those things I mean yeah to not have that kind of judgment and not have such harsh judgment of your practices wrong we 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 know what's best for your culture because we don't absolutely we we do not and we, we all have not. felt at some point or another where we're being judged for our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not saying I'm I'm expressing just like deep sadness that like that's just what we tend to do as humans is like mm-hmm. judge you just the yeah. judgment and the the boxing in and the like yeah the, making decisions that are very rooted in patriarch patriarchy like mm-hmm. you know that's what makes me. I mean, the bottom line, I think, is like we all want to feel okay. Yeah. We all want to feel okay and we want to feel like we belong Mm -hmm. to something. Mm -hmm. And we, as humans, you know, since forever, 
have like made up stuff to mm-hmm. make that happen. And yeah. it's a great thing in many and ways. And we're going to look and back comes, on many things. And it comes with some trouble, right? Yeah. So, but it's a, but talking about female genital cutting in mm-hmm. cultures that practice it and with parents who are considering doing infant male circumcision is a useful conversation because for perspective yeah just as a way to have people sort of think about it you know and really recognize it as like this really is a cultural thing and if you're horrified by that if you're horrified by the idea that someone would take your baby daughter and slice off her clitoral hood when she's you know 24 hours old why are you not what's the difference yeah Mm -hmm. why are you not horrified about this for your son so that's one that curiosity sort of piece of, is a big yeah. deal. I will say Mary, too, you do that as so a, well, by the way, big time. I mean, seriously, like that's like it's just really important when you can open up that dialogue from a place of like let's just have curiosity, mm-hmm. let's just mm-hmm. have a very non-judgmental mm-hmm. discussion, mm-hmm. and 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 just very straightforward, even medically, right? Like just yeah. like this is. I mean, I also do make it clear to people that my recommendation is that they not do it. Yeah. But I'm certainly not going to feel like, oh, my God, you're a horrible person if you do this. I can't, you know, this is terrible mm-hmm. child abuse, blah, 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 blah. I'm, I get that people do feel that sometimes. I don't feel that. I feel like I get it. It's complicated to be a human. Mm-hmm. It's really complicated to parent, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to make a million decisions for your kids all the time mm-hmm. that are going to affect all of how people see them and how do they fit in or not fit in and how are you supporting them versus the, yeah, you know, the norming so... stuff that you also do some of, right? Um, so it's complicated and I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of sympathy for how complicated parenting is. So that's, I would say too, the other thing about the circumcision conversation in particular, in my particular location right now is I'm a home birth midwife. A lot of home, I think home birthing families culturally probably have, Mm -hmm. certainly have lower rates of circumcision than folks who are presenting to the mainstream obstetricus and midwifery establishment. Mm -hmm. Um, because the, you know, that because people are already asking a lot of questions about like, well, why are we doing these things that are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, we're sort of told are normative. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not to say that they're, it's zero. It's by no means zero. Um, and I have had some families who circumcise their kids. Um, but so having them, people who come in with a decision to do it or who aren't sure about mm-hmm. it, I do sort of say like, look, you know, what are your, what do the people around you think about the fact that you're doing a home birth? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are really coming from a place of like, oh my God, we're not even telling my parents or, Mm -hmm. you know, I just don't talk with people about it or people think we're nuts, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, well, and I say, so, so I want, I want to ask you to think about that, about Mm -hmm. circumcision too. Mm-hmm. What are some, uh, this Plus is some kind of, of the pivoting really specific now. arguments are just yeah. like easy, right? I right. Mean, a really common argument is, well, I want my kid to look like me. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's very fair. easy to address, right? Because honestly, What's the likelihood you're all going to see each other? Well, first of all, you're, I mean, like, let's mm-hmm. say you're a family that that's very from? comfortably naked. Mm-hmm. No, I get where it's coming from. You don't want your kid to feel, you know, it's we want to feel like it's I belong fear. to this. Yeah, right? you know, it's the wanna, fear that you you just want to protect your child from feeling different. You want to protect your child. But what I say to, to dads is, you know, so let's just, let's just envision that scenario. You know, you're naked, you're getting out of the shower, you're naked around your house, whatever, and your kid is getting to the age where he notices even, mm-hmm. right? I mean, little littles don't even really notice. But, you know, you got a toddler who's starting to be able to talk about it at all, mm-hmm. and he's right at eye level oh, probably with your stuff. And they're so observant. Right? Mm-hmm. So if he notices, I promise, promise, promise 
that a two-year-old who's noticing the difference between his penis and balls and his dad's, the foreskin is not the thing, man. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> can we talk about large dangling mm-hmm. body hair? Testes, testes. pigment, Mm -hmm. hair, Mm -hmm. size Mm -hmm. alone. I mean, Mm -hmm. good Lord. Like, Mm -hmm. the kid has to have really discerning vision to notice, like, oh, and there's this piece here Mm -hmm. that looks a little different from mine. Like, he's going to look different from you. Until he hits puberty, he's going to look really different from you. Right. And by then, you've got a really clear story for him. Right. You know, by the time he's a little older, and he's like, well, why do you look like that and I look like this? You say, like, you know what? When I was a baby, th- we used to think that you had to cut off this this piece. Mm-hmm. But we decided you were just perfect as you are. And that's your own body, honey. Mm-hmm. Is it now around 50% still? I don't know what the stat is. And it, I mean, nationally, I think it's in that range. But it's really variable it, low count. So yeah, it is very. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's definitely shifting. It, it, yeah. It's definitely mm-hmm. shifting. So it's also not the case anymore, though, except probably in some there probably are some rural communities where most kids are circumcised. Mm-hmm. But it's really not the case. Like in Madison, that's easy to address. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is not the case that everybody mm-hmm. in their seventh grade locker room is going to have sure. a circumcised penis. Sure, sure, sure. I yeah. think a big takeaway to take from all of these conversations, because things get, we take note of this a lot, the polarization of mm-hmm. issues. Um is to find that really great spot where like you're being supportive of each other's each other's choices mm-hmm. while also having very open safe conversations so yeah. everybody can feel seen and heard and you're never going to have making it about like oh if you're over here then then right. this and if that's you're over awful. here then this like that's kind of i think coming to this space right now is just all about like yeah really open safe dialogue mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, let me say also about that, that I understand, too, that there are absolutely are people who would say, like, Mary, you're being like way too, you're being way too mainstream in the middle of the road about this. You should take uh, a position uh-huh. like this is yes. child abuse. Yes. This is child abuse and you should call it out as child abuse. And I understand that position. Um, I just think I just think call, I want people I want people who I am taking care of and who are sitting with me in my office. I am clear with people that I really would ask you not to do it. I'd, I'd, if you're on the fence about this, I'd ask you to just tip over this way and just don't do it. You can your kid can always do it. Sure. At any point in his yep, life, sure. if he decides he wants to or she wants to. You don't have to do that. You don't have to make that decision right right now. Mm -hmm. When I get a family who gets to the place where they're like, okay, we've had these conversations. I've looked at this stuff. We're going to do it. My next ask from them is like, I am like, okay, I want to remind you that you can. Two things. One is you can change your mind Mm -hmm. until it's Mm -hmm. done. Right. So please keep the question open for yourself. The other thing is, if you feel really clear that you're going to do this, I would I would request that you delay it a little bit. Because 24 to 48 hours, there's no breast milk in yet Mm -hmm. for those babies. They don't have established, I mean, they don't really have established breastfeeding relationships. That's like one of the most vulnerable sections of a newborn's life, right? Mm -hmm. They're losing weight. They're, you know, they may get jaundice. They may be struggling with blood sugar. They may, there's all kinds of stuff. And they just came out of your body. They're trying to establish just being Being here, thermoregulation Mm -hmm. and breathing Mm -hmm. and get their breastfeeding going. 
if you and there's no urgency about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your baby has a structurally normal penis that's functioning and they're peeing, mm-hmm. there's nothing medically necessary about doing that in the first 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, because hours. there it's are sometimes there are medical can, reasons to do it. There are there uh, there are medical reasons to not do it. Like a baby actually with an abnormally or an, an atypically um, shaped penis, they often actually will say, like, don't do it because we're oh. going to need to do more serious reconstruction on that. Oh, later. I was under and the impression that the sometimes there. there is a medical reason. To do circumcision? Um, I mean, I don't from... know on an infant, actually. Okay. I, I don't okay. want to say it categorically because I'm not a urologist or a pediatrician. Sure. But okay. I'm more aware of reasons that they would say, even if you really want it, if you have a baby with hypospadias, for example, where instead of the opening of the penis being like right at the tip of Wait, the, the glands, urethra, it's, the urethra, it's like, yeah, the urethra doesn't come out at the tip of the actually, glands. It comes out at the base or off-centered somewhere. Okay. It can be down along the shaft of the penis, or okay. you know, not in the center of the glands. And then that's when they're actually saying, "Don't." And do then they're it. saying, "Don't do it because." We we may need to do a different kind of. We'll, oh. we'll need to do a more complex surgery to correct this and they later. Wait. And we want all that tissue sure in place. Or they just won't do it. Sure, or they, they just, just won't do it. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah. Yeah, I think Good delaying is. But I think delaying it at least until I ask families to delay. I mean, absent those kinds of considerations, I ask families to delay if they're willing to at least until the point where that baby is solid, has mm. gained some weight back, has an established breastfeeding relationship, mm-hmm. because now we're not adding to the vulnerability of that baby in those moments. Mm-hmm. We're, we're making vulnerable because it's a surgical procedure and it does come with risk and it's painful. We are, but we're doing that in the context where the baby has an established, solid breastfeeding relationship, which is not only physiologically important to be feeding this baby who's no longer losing weight, but also it's, it's so, it's the best anesthesia there is or analgesia, analgesia that Mm -hmm. there is for a baby, Mm -hmm. right? Is to go to breast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if they're brand new, if they're 24 hours old and I mean, especially God forbid, if they're not latching well yet. Like it's going to where are they going to go? Their, yeah, their comfort, right? It's going to affect And that. they're going to be mm-hmm. in some pain. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be in some pain. And what does a newborn do with pain? They go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Right? They check out. They don't mm-hmm. have sophisticated ways to manage this stuff. Right. They're and not going like, to say like, "Mom, don't hold me that way because that diaper is now really pressing against that cut piece." Mm-hmm. They're just going to check. Yeah. Out. Now outside right. of coming into the world from the body they were in, that's their first experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not optimal. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That was that was good. Are there any stigmas around home birth that you want to break down? Stigmas around home birth? That are swing, common. Oh my gosh, swing, there's so many swing stigmas back around to home birth. birth, right? Well, we, I don't yeah, think we I really mean, I, think... T- I don't think we really got to like why choose a home birth. Did we? Because well, why think choose it's... a why why consider a home birth is, you know, if you if you are someone who is healthy, and well, and you don't have an elevated medical vulnerability, and you're, you know, you want to feel your birth, right? Um, you're not somebody who thinks at this point anyway that you want, you know, you want access to pain medications because you're not going to have that at home. Mm-hmm. That's just not part of the deal. Um, and you, and you are willing to do the work and take the responsibility for yourself and your choices. Then I think you should cons- you should think about it. You should investigate it. You mm-hmm. should do a little homework and see who's mm-hmm. in your area and mm-hmm. see if this f- and meet some people and and see if it feels right to you. Because mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. for well people who are pregnant, it you know 
and who don't have additional medical vulnerabilities and who have skilled providers in their area with whom they feel like they can work, mm-hmm. I think that it can be an optimal setting. I don't see the choice between home and hospital as a safe between or a choice between a safe place and a less safe place. Yeah. You know, some mm-hmm. one of the, the things that people will say sometimes who, th- who are scared about home birth will say like, well, I get that it would be, you know, be really nice to be at home. It would be comfortable to be at home. But like, why would you take any risk at all? Mm-hmm. And I just think like, you know, there are some risks that are inherent with staying at home. But there are also risks that are inherent in going into the hospital. Yeah. It's not like one of these is mm-hmm. a risk-free environment yes. and the other one is a risky environment. That's mm-hmm. such a good point. It's They're just mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just different. different. Yeah. They're just mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's ultimately important to just know what all your choices are. Yeah. It's really important to inform yourself. I mean, I think if you're somebody who, if what you want to do is just show up and say, you just tell me what to do. Sure. Then go you should go it. to the hospital. Go for you it. You should not try mm-hmm. to have a baby at home, though. Like, I feel like, and I, I don't want to speak for all midwives. I think per, people are all, I mean, midwives are quite variable, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking for a, a very sure. diverse category of people, um, or I don't mean to be doing that. But for me, I want people to understand, too, that I expect them to be taking a different level of responsibility um, by choosing to be at home mm. than, than somebody I might yeah. take care of in the hospital. When I worked in hospitals, we had people come in sometimes who had like zero prenatal, I mean, sure. frequently in, in Malawi because mm-hmm. people just have access. But also, you know, other places that I worked in hospital settings, we'd have people just present to the ER who were in labor and either had been in denial they were pregnant or just like didn't seek prenatal care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and here they are. we would take care yeah. of them. You know, mm-hmm. with no expectation that they were prepared in any mm-hmm. way or mm-hmm. that's very doable there. But that's not the contract at home. Mm-hmm. That's not the contract at home. I really expect people to, like, be thinking through this stuff mm-hmm. with me and, like, mm-hmm. you're going to decide. about. And, and there's yes. preparation to do. Yeah. And there's preparation, there's preparation to, do. to do. And a lot of it is about learning and mm-hmm. informing yourself. Like, yeah. if we're going to talk about group B strep in, or circumcision or... You know, or what are the, or any, what are the risks that can happen right. that, that are are increased by being at home? Like, what are the situations in which you would say at a birth, "Oh crap, I wish we were in the hospital." Mm-hmm. You know, or this terrible thing might not have happened if we were in the hospital. There are some of those things, right? Those happen. They're not common. Mm-hmm. They're not even you know. They're but they're real. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want people to understand them. And if people say, like, I just don't want to hear about it because I don't want any of that in my head. That's just not a contract I'm willing to make. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to step out with you. I'm not going to grab you and pull you out onto this limb. Right. You are leading. And mm-hmm. I that is not, by the way, me saying, like, I'm just going to be neutral about all your decisions, because I think that's also I think that's also not living up to my responsibilities. You know, when mm-hmm. someone hires me as a midwife, I have skills that I need to bring. I have knowledge that I need to bring. We do not do a great job of educating and preparing people. Some people do a great job of educating and preparing themselves, and they're not looking for a lot of that from me, but I'm going to have those conversations anyway. But if somebody, you know, is asking me, if, if, we're, if we're reviewing groupie strep or we're reviewing circumcision or we're reviewing, you know, ruptured, prolonged ruptured membranes sure. short term or going past 42 weeks. Or, or, it's my job or, um, to have an opinion. Reviewing if you're not there yet and things are going yeah. quickly and things like that. But it's yeah. my job to have yeah. to come with an, with an opinion if, there, if, there, if I have one. There are things about which I am truly, truly 
I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. care if people do prenatal diagnostic screening mm-hmm. testing. Mm-hmm. So the sort of genetic or chromosomal mm-hmm. testing or other kinds of testing. Even ultrasounds. I, mm-hmm. I don't care ever if someone does a screening ultrasound. I care very much if someone does what I would consider a medically indicated ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. the, like an AFI. the routine 20-week scan. Uh-huh. The routine 20-week scan that, like, everything seems to be going great. People are measuring well, da, 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 labs look good, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Okay. If the family doesn't want it, I don't care if they do it or not. Sure. Right? I get somebody who comes into my office at 34 weeks, and they're measuring 28. Okay. I then, care. then you're going to care. They come about into that. my office yeah. at 16 weeks and they're measuring 24. Sure. Then I care because mm-hmm. maybe that's just a fluke. Some, you know, the measuring that we do to see as a we measure the uterus to or the you know the the top of what we can feel of the top of the uterus to sort of get a proxy for how well do we think the baby's growing. We feel around a little, mm-hmm. and it, and that's a that's a it's a rough but pretty decent indicator. If we're really off from that, then we have not gotten reassuring information by doing that exam. I want to do an ultrasound, and I would strongly recommend to the family that we do an ultrasound to get some information. And it's mm-hmm. either going to be reassuring or it's not. If mm-hmm. it's not, boy, are we glad we got it. Right. If it is, great. Right. And then you say, oh, we didn't really need that. But we, we did. We needed the, re- the we reassurance. reassurance. I think we yes. did. Right. Or someone comes in bleeding. Mm-hmm at 30 weeks and I put a speculum in and I look and I don't see an obvious like oh you know sometimes you could see a polyp a little polyp on mm. the cervix uh-huh. and it's actively bleeding and I can be reassuring about that uh-huh. um, but I don't see anything or I see blood that's coming through the cervical ass well I think you need to have an ultrasound mm-hmm. right even if it was it's done now right it, it happened last night when we had sex and it was more than just a little mm-hmm. spotting which can be normal but if it's you know if there's something that I think if Testing and all of that stuff, I think it's a matter of, like, if this information makes a significant difference Mm -hmm. as we go forward, Mm -hmm. then I would like us to get it. Mm -hmm. Is it silly to clarify that when you're with, when you're under the care of a home birth midwife, you have your prenatals. When you go Mm -hmm. to them, you're getting measured. You're getting your your blood pressure taken. Mm -hmm. You're... You know, because again, they're have an opportunity to cry. Yes, you're also going to maybe <laughs> workshop something that's going on. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's so emotion. I, there's room for emotional support. breakdowns. Yeah, I, I would say about this. You know, there is there is absolutely variability among midwives. Yes. So anybody that you're considering working with, you should talk to and ask them what, what does their a prenatal look like. Well, with what you? does care look like yes, in general? Yes. You know, what does care look like in general? Because that's going to really and narrow. Because you have somewhat. postpartum care to talk about too. Yeah, postpartum care probably even more important. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of it's important, but mm-hmm. but you know, I would say in this community, and I can't really speak to. I'm not going to try to speak to yeah. all communities because there is a lot of variability in Madison. Like I said, we're a pretty tight collaborative group, um, and I think that we practice. We're different people. There are variations, but there's a lot of overlap, right? And I would say about that, the medical surveillance of pregnancy, which I would define as, you know, the routine lab work that's offered, ultrasounds that are offered, excuse me, the routine schedule of visits, Mm -hmm. the medical piece of those visits, which is weight, blood pressure, measurement, listening to fetal heart tones, and asking down through a list of mm-hmm. what we would recall, would call review of symptoms, right? Headaches, blurry vision, cramping, bleeding, is the baby moving for you for at the appropriate time, swelling, you know, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of stuff. That piece in a well person who's pregnant, you can do the medical surveillance of pregnancy probably in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you can do it 
adequately mm-hmm. probably in 10 minutes. And that's pretty much what you get in, the, in most hospital settings because they are designed to do medical surveillance of pregnancy. So it's not that they're failing to do anything usually. Right. They're doing the thing that yeah. they're structured mm-hmm. to do. What I would say, as I said about you know, home or hospitals not necessarily being optimal for healthy people is that there's so much more going on than just, for most than just people. doing those routine yes, checks. For, and especially, mm-hmm. I mean, for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. for women with complex medical complications, there's also a lot more going on than just the medical piece, but they need a lot of medical stuff sometimes. For folks who are well, you're you're absolutely paying attention to that stuff. It's important to not blow it off, you know, I think. Um, and so I do all of that stuff, and we get through that probably in 10 minutes, just mm-hmm. like everybody else in the hospital can. Yeah. I'm not slow. I'm just doing other things. Sure. But our visits are usually going to run 45 minutes to an hour because we're also doing a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of education. We're talking through all this stuff. I don't want anybody ever to walk out of my office having me draw blood for them and not know what that was for, mm. right? Or like... Yep. I never say to somebody, so at today's visit, we're going to do your blah, blah, blah. If mm-hmm. we haven't talked about that already and agreed about it, mm-hmm. I always want people, I'm like, I'm going to stick a needle into the interior of your body and pull some of your fluid out and send it to a lab. I want you to know why to know why I recommend that. And you absolutely consent to that or mm-hmm. not, right? Mm-hmm. And that's true for all of this stuff. And that the reality of that is it takes time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're also... Pro- workshopping stuff, as you said, Andrea, we're processing a lot of stuff because the medical piece for most folks is just not mm-hmm. the overarching experience of mm-hmm. pregnancy and birth and postpartum. It's all the other stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's like sexuality in pregnancy, the emotional life mm-hmm. of pregnancy is something mm-hmm. we just don't talk about much unless mm-hmm. we're going to roll our eyes and make jokes about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is not funny. You guys. <laughs> it is not funny. This is not a joke. It is absolutely we not a joke. We can make jokes, but this is not a joke. This is not a joke. This is right? not a I mean, joke. I can this make a so joke serious. about how every time I left my time with Mary, I was like, Mary, are you sure I can't stay longer? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to cry a little bit more. Can I take a nap just, right here in this womb of a space? <laughs> I think, you know... I, I, so, you know, I, I'm, I've said several times I don't have a very formed metaphysics about this, but I do yeah. feel like I've watched a lot Are of you sure? No, yeah, yeah, don't. don't. Are you sure? <laughs> I have a, a blurry metaphysics about it, I, I will know, say. I have, a, I have a blurry and evolving metaphysics. You gotta write those books. It's kind of clear to me. But I feel like I've watched a lot, a lot of people really closely and spent a lot of time with people doing this thing, and I feel like there's this thing that I see happening to almost everyone in pregnancy, right? It starts really early, where... All of the encrusted armors that we have around <sighs> ourselves, you know, emotionally, and the filters that you gotta have yeah, it's to like walk through the human. world and function as an adult. Yes. Like you just can't yes. be as raw as an all as a young child. Right. <laughs> right. You can't be that raw and function. So we've all built them up. They're very functional. I don't diss them in any way, but they can be sort of numbing as well, right? Mm-hmm. They and can they, kinda get in our way a little bit. They can sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. Hormonally, energetically, I don't know. Cosmically, who Something's knows? happening that starts when this other being starts living in your body, and that stuff just starts flaking away and yeah, dissolving. Cool. And people get more and more and more and more porous mm-hmm. as they move through pregnancy. And, you know, 
I mean, we can't, we don't tolerate intense emotion and presence in this culture very well. Mm -hmm. We're not built to do it. We're built to shut it down. Mm -hmm. So we make a lot of jokes about, oh, placenta brain or oh, mommy brain Mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever. And I'm like, fuck that shit, man. Yeah. This is a human who's actually an adult and still taking in the world in this way. Mm -hmm. Like we got little kids who take in the world in a really raw way, but competent functional adults start to do that. That's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Right. So like processing what it is to walk around the world without all that armor on to like feel your relationships and your interactions with other people. Oh my God. Pregnant people are incredible. Right. Like, I I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) I just keep hearing Mary say, fuck that shit. I don't know. I I just have, I just have a broken record brain right now. I just, fuck that shit. Fuck that. No, carry on. I'm in heaven. (laughs) I'm in bliss. Fuck that shit. Anyway. I feel like it's, I feel like this is like the sacred territory, right? Yeah, is this, that like, the, you know, is, this is, oh, I just really want to. Are we going to tie this I, in I with wanna, the spiritual? Yeah, I want to, you, you, you drop the, the porous bomb mm-hmm. about. I didn't realize that was a bomb. Well, it right. is. And, okay. and. A good one. I, I knew that we were going to get here to this part of this conversation talking about just how raw we become during this really embodied we're really embodied yeah really embodied mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. it's powerful parts of us come to the surface that maybe we haven't known ourselves to be before or mm-hmm. experienced ourselves we just were really shutting way. it down a lot and yeah now- and and mm-hmm. i know in my bones that there are these incredible profound parallels between how we arrive and how we leave mm-hmm. and i know that mm. you've witnessed it meeting. and mm-hmm. and um i know you think about it mm-hmm. and i just would love to <laughs> hear what you have to say about the the journey of arrival and the journey of departure and, and how there's and a the, lot of similarities you're seeing the parallels, the parallels if yeah. you want to say metaphysical again mm-hmm. it's okay <laughs> <laughs> So I think Do we that all need to have our feet together under the table <laughs> for this? Don't hold hands. Well, let's hold hands in a month, but we can touch feet. I want to say first that I don't have a ton of experience of the kind of leaving that most humans do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't, because I've never worked in hospice. I haven't, like I said, I was never a nurse, like in a med surge ward mm-hmm. where people are dying. So I don't, I don't actually have a ton of that kind of leaving mm-hmm. the most of the people that I have experienced, aside from like, you know, people in intimate people in my life. Sure. The most of the people I have experienced of leaving are the people that we think of as like tragic, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. sudden mm-hmm. mothers Unexpected. and babies, mm-hmm. you know, who we think like that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't have blessedly, um, I don't have experience of maternal death in this country. Mm-hmm. Actually, knock mm-hmm. wood and my head and everything else. Yeah, um, because it doesn't. Because it happens more than it should, but it doesn't happen anywhere near as frequently as it happens in some place like Malawi. Sure. Um, and any time that happens, it feels like it shouldn't have. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels mm-hmm. like it shouldn't have. Babies are more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you how do you Babies as a as as a as a provider as a midwife, how do you come to terms with knowing that that is part of the deal? Part of what you've signed up for. Uh, I don't think that I would say it's a thing I've come to terms with. 
actually. Uh-huh. Just kind of like sort I'll of cross those suggests when to I... me that it's settled in some way. It's so variable uh-huh. depending on circumstances, you know. So I had I've had experiences of um, babies being born who had, you know malformations mm-hmm. that were not going to be compatible with them living. There was never going to be any circumstance mm-hmm. under which they were um, having a life outside of the body mm-hmm. that they grew in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had experiences of that that were like quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But partly because, and not not lacking in grief, I mean grievous yeah, as sure. well. But also quite beautiful, and partly I think because we were expecting that to some extent. Uh-huh. Um, we kind of knew that was coming. There wasn't any struggle about could we make this be different. It was. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. Uh huh. Um, but I've also had, you know, as I think almost anyone does who works for a long period of time around birth, um, a couple of times in this country and many times in Malawi, um, babies die during labor, mm-hmm. who I felt like coulda, shoulda, woulda been different maybe sometimes, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always really, I mean, yeah, sometimes it's, it's hard like, to know. Sometimes even... it's like, well, if we had done this, if yeah. we had done that, if we had seen this, yeah. we did, what, did I miss something? Did we, you know? Mm-hmm. And To try and to find the closure is like... Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't find myself falling on, I... I what I do with that mostly is I live in that middle space mm-hmm. of like grief and mystery and um it's sometimes really intolerable actually. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that the temptation always is to go to one pole or the other. The poles being a resolution that well this was meant to be. Right. And like I said, I don't I just don't have that kind of a metaphysics. I don't know. I feel like I'm also an actor here. I have responsibilities here. If I fucked something up or I missed something, even if I was working really hard, I wanna know because I don't wanna do that again and I wanna I just wanna hold all of it. Yeah. Right. If it's but so and we tend to go either to like that place of the resolution of, well, it was meant to be. Uh-huh. Or we go to just the resolution. to soothe ourselves, just for right. comfort. Or, just or for we go to the the other mm-hmm. resolution of like, you know, this was absolutely clearly, you know, a fuck up, mm-hmm. and it should not have been, and it's your fault, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes one or the other of those is true, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time it's just not clear. Yeah, yeah. it's just not that clear. Mm-hmm. So there is no answer. It's the worst thing. <clears throat> it's, I mean, I will say, like, it's the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the, it's the worst, it's the worst thing. The, the fuller life spectrum coming in and coming out at an age, mm-hmm. you know, the full life. Mm-hmm. Is that what we wanted to touch on? Those it, parallels. Either, I mean, either I think one. That, either one. I, I mean, think I think that, it's well. I mean, I think that births also. You like, know, what do they have in common? Right, birth and death have have some things in common. They do. I mean, and I think one of them, one of the things that they have in common is the incredible, like, variability and complexity mm-hmm. of them, right? Like, there mm-hmm. are births that are, like, horrifying. Mm-hmm. And, and there are deaths, deaths that are horrifying. And there are births that, that like, are every day. beautiful and feel safe and yep. sacred. And there's lots of reverence. Yeah. And everybody feels in control and seen and heard and loved and respected. Or if not in control, then at least held and held. And, and, yeah. And yeah. Through that, through right. that uncontrollable thing. Sure. Right, and right, which which death I think can also bring that real yeah. intense feeling of out of control or the unknown. Mm-hmm. 
and the mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going to happen next? How is this going to? Is this going to be in a couple? Is this baby going to come in a couple of hours? Am I or it, tomorrow? Yeah, or, or am I going to still be alive in a week and a half? Or right. am I, is, do I, I mean, have an hour left? You know, They're clearly just, both circumstances in which we're like right mm-hmm. up against what it is to be uh, an embodied mortal being, mm-hmm. right? And and those of us who are not the one in the, in the center of that circle, of those circles, are coming up against it too, mm-hmm. right? And are coming up against all of our impulses to control things, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. understand them too. Understand them too. When, just to when have a little bit of that safety feeling, a little bit of... When ultimately we just, we're just really along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> we're more than a... But we're more participant than yeah, that. Uh-huh. We, yeah. It's not as passive uh-huh. as we're along for the ride. No. Uh-huh. Right? Like we're also... Again, Actively. because we're culture creators, mm-hmm. we're also creating meaning out of this stuff. It's not just a biological event. Right. That's happening. Sure. I don't know what the experience is of other mammals and beings on the planet that give birth. So I don't know if they have meaning making going on. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. Humans, for sure, make stories. We make stories yeah. about everything. You know, was it a quote unquote good birth or a bad birth? Was it a. We put the definitions around the experiences. Yes, Mm -hmm. and those things, and that also, it it is co-creative with those experiences, right? Like the story that you tell about that experience is co-creative with that experience, Yeah. right? It's not just that some set of bodily facts occurred. And that's that. Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking of things. I keep thinking of intimacy and, and really profound intimacy and, Mm -hmm. and like that, that, um, real transparency or not so much we're along for the ride we are a participant mm-hmm. but there it, it it definitely comes with just like an incredible amount of it can it can if you are open to that mm. right mm-hmm. yeah but um do you see some common commonality of like i don't wide cult culturally wide yeah, Birth and I mean, death are we, not really honored. We try to we try to control both of them. We try. I mean, we're very medical about both of those things in this culture, and there are, you know, movements to push away from that, on both the birthing side and the dying side. Do you right? think there's so, going to continue to be this rise in like death doulas? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I kind of hope so. I mean, life coaches are now becoming more and more of a thing, and mm-hmm. birth doulas are becoming. I don't really More. quite know what life coaches are, I will confess. I, th- I feel like it's like it's another like a, way of saying that like I'm your doula but for like life. Life. Right. Like or it's like, like therapist mid- midlife. With, therapist with a goal. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. like there's something to accomplish or to just reach. like a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. It's always just like I'm not really sure either, but I sometimes <laughs> describe myself as a life coach, as a doula. I'm like I wear a lot of hats. Yeah. 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 Massage yeah. therapist, family therapist. You know, cheerleader, edu- educator, pep talker. Yeah. Witness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I want to be really Listener. respectful yeah. of the specialized skills that can yes. come with all of those different labels and roles. Mm-hmm. But I also want to recognize that the central piece that I think you're referencing, Margaret, when you talk about intimacy, I want to recognize that that really critical central piece is just a thing that humans can do for each yeah, other. Yeah, the community. You don't right? need any mad skills mm-hmm. or training to just sit with a person and sit and be like, tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
just tell me. Yeah. What's happening? I'm yeah. right here. Well, yeah. you don't have to tell me. And I'm just hanging right. out. Right. But just, just to let you know, mm-hmm. I'm You're here. You're not alone. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I want to I wanna see you. I see you. I want to see you. Mm. I'm interested. I care. I'm like, be. Be. Mm-hmm. And I will, like, hold the space for you to be in. And mm-hmm. that's just anybody mm-hmm. can do that for anybody. It's so valuable. It's a thing mm-hmm. that we just, you don't have and to what, be, I don't want people to feel like they have to have some professional right. status. Or also what we've been, again, conditioned to do, to do which is like to try to fix it right away. Right. Right. Which or, is, or rescue somebody uh-huh. from their do life. Do the rescuing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, y'all, we got to be born. Thank you, mom. We mm. got to be born. We get to be here. There's a 60s mostly 60s, 70s, beat poet Diane DePrima, who I adore. She's just fabulous. Awesome. And somewhere along the line, a long, long time ago, I remember reading some interview with her. At, at some point in it, she says, you know, I'm a human. I, I just, I want to take all the rides. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I came here to take all the rides. I'm like, give me the experiences. I, <laughs> I got the bracelet. Them. Like, I'm not, I don't want to protect myself. I paid for the bracelet. Right. I'm taking that ride. I'm not going to let fear shut me down. I'm not going to let, I don't want to be safe and protected all the time. Like the, the, the discussions around safety are really interesting, but they're also really complicated because we can fetishize safety in a way, Mm. you know, and I think we're at risk sometimes of doing that in conversations. Like I want people to feel like they can show up in a conversation and that requires some degree of safety but there is just nothing safe about being an embodied mortal being no right like what is safe about loving your children margaret what is safe about it they smell good that's lovely about it that's lovely (laughs) there are many things that are like juicy and delicious and worth living for and worth showing up i'll get back to you yeah but safe I mean, it's not, not really. parenting. Not like, really. Not that's really. the scariest fucking thing you not do. Really. And, exactly. you, and you went into it kind of naively. I Totally. I mean, you couldn't possibly understand could, what you're even signing up for. But I'm And we still don't. We time, still right? don't. We still don't. But but I feel like that is that is for for parents and, yet, and non-parents is we never know where what we've signed up. I mean, signed up for, for sure. what does that even mean? But I mean, yeah. it's like that w- there's being here is risky. Non-parents aren't mm-hmm. any safer, you know. No, but like, but anyone but who loves anyone is if you love taking someone, a risk. Yes, yes, you love a, you love a mortal being mm-hmm. who is who is like complicated and in motion and changing all the time. Yeah, y'all right? are. So like that's that's just like who thought that was a good idea? If your idea, if your desire on the planet is to be safe, <laughs> don't love anything. Don't love anything or try as best you can to open wide enough that you love everything. And then it all just like, then it's, it is what it is. We have a crier. (laughs) She's kind of been crying the whole time, but now it's really, I love you so much. I know. I know. I know this can all sound really woo woo, but I just think like, come on y'all. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. We got you. It's not safe, though. It's just not. It's just not. And I think, you know, we were talking in the kitchen a little before we turned the microphone on about coronavirus. 
And I think it's just, this is a moment where everybody's really feeling it. Everybody's really feeling the like, holy shit, you know, being an embodied human on the planet. I mean, we're robust. Like, we're robust. We're resilient. There's like how many billion of us now? Yeah. Clearly, if we were a fragile species, we would be not so many. Mm-hmm. So there's every reason to think that the, you know, a lot of people will do okay through this. Mm-hmm. And it's a moment where everybody really feels like I the think. The fragility. Yeah, mm-hmm. everybody feels the contingency and vulnerability mm-hmm. of what it is to be alive, mm-hmm. which is that mm-hmm. thing that you kind of have to shut down most of the time. Because how <laughs> could you let freak your, out every day? How could you let your yeah. seven-year-old yeah. walk into a classroom oh, out my of God. your sight if mm-hmm. you were really uh, in touch with? Oh yeah, every mm-hmm. day they walk home in the door. I'm like, let me take a look at you. Yeah, <laughs> let me touch you and hug you and smooch let you up. Let me and, smell you and see your yeah. eyes and like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Get back into it. Yeah. But what do I? What am I always saying? We're here to love each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, that mm-hmm. is what we're here for. We're here to love. Mm-hmm. This is good. And now, Mary, thank you so much. <laughs> thank we you. could this this we could just keep going, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh my gosh, you guys, with everything, you're one of my heroes for everything. Oh. And you guys are my <laughs> heroes. You're. I want to just remind people, I do not have children. Right. Um, you know, I don't do that thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But you help a lot of people. You're my who children's do. godmother, though. <laughs> so you, know, you help just a so lot. Just so we're clear, that's why I bother you a lot. I am like wildly moved and impressed that you all do this wild thing. Thank you. Don't make me I go and have another like, one. Thank You're you. You're talking about just prenatals, and I'm like, it's time to get pregnant. <laughs> Your ovaries are screaming. Well, you do make very lovely children, I will just say. You and Thank Fernando you. make some very lovely children. Mm-hmm. We love you so much. I love you guys, too. Thanks for being love a you, guest Mary. on our show. Thanks our for inviting Mary. Mary. Oh, we love you. Immaculate, please. Oh, I had to say it. <laughs> I, I had to say it. Oh, here, yeah. I one just more have thing. to clarify. Let's, <laughs> let's go. So one last let's thing go. Here. Let's because go. Because I did go to Catholic school for yeah. 10 years. In divinity school. Talk about Mary. There's a very, very big distinction between the immaculate conception of virgin birth. And people often conflate them and think it's the same thing, right? The virgin birth is a dogma that says that Mary, who gave birth to Jesus historically, historically, never had sex with anybody who put anything inside her vagina, basically, Mm -hmm. so that she conceived this baby without sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's the virgin birth. The immaculate conception is about Mary's birth, or Mary's conception, and Mary herself as a little tiny fetal baby inside her mother was understood to have been the only human being, aside from Jesus, who was conceived absent original sin. So she was born without original sin, which all other humans since Eve have been born with. So that's it. So I like the brand. And let me just say, you're a sinner. I remember I learning. Am neither. <laughs> you're, a, you're a goddamn sinner. I am sinner. neither immaculate. I am neither immaculate nor virgin. I am going to continue to choose. Just saying. I'm going to continue to choose to say and declare that you are my immaculate Mary. So just oh, yeah, take yeah. it easy. So let me just say something. It's a joke. It's I'm going to say one it's more thing. You know what? I'm always going to say one more thing. <laughs> Pedestals? Not I know. A place to no. live, y'all. Yes. I'd rather just be here at the table with you. 
Oh, love there you somewhere. I know. I know. That's no. That is a real invalid point. The pedestal Every, thing because that's take like everybody down and, and getting knocked off of it. Down. Bruising. Oh, Bruising. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. When people have that moment where they it go, is a oh, human. You're it's really just such a human that, thing to do, though. You know, to just yeah, do a little idolizing and. Just be careful, and, though. I, yeah. I mean, as a midwife, I also really want to say to midwives, be careful. Don't let people... you. As a midwife, you get to be with people while they're doing this wild thing. And like, and it then, is so and then that's, powerful. That's attachment. That, and, and there's a little bit of what happens with ducklings. Yeah. Right? That they left. First thing they see... It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's that's what my being is. It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. All that power was yours. Mm-hmm. That wild experience you had at your birth, I just got to be there. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But that, like, what? That's, that's actually yours. That's yeah. just yours. Don't project it out yeah. and give it away that way. I don't think I have. I think okay. I know it's mine. All right, yeah, good. That's I just good. feel very... Very lucky that I got to do it with you. That's and I think it, and I so think my, it is. It is. Mary. I had a cry about you two days ago. Yeah, it was while real. we were talking about our our uh, our outline, and I think that I agree. Pedestals are dangerous and not mm-hmm. healthy. But I also feel like mm-hmm. it is encouraging to have moments where we can look up to people and say that's someone who I really admire. I like this about them. Mm-hmm. I strive to. Not be like them, but find my own way of who I am mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, I can't quite say it, but I yeah. just really look up to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Deep all right. breath. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me. Go love all your people. Love your people. And all the people who aren't yours. We're here to love. Bring someone a glass of water today. (laughs) And wash your hands.